and we're live. Julie, before we came out, we were just trying to, I was trying to wrap my head around how we'd basically start this conversation, because as I've explained before with other guests, we usually pick a topic to open on, and then we just basically run from there. And with you, the obvious one was, you're my first female guest, Mm -hmm. and you're also my first foreigner, so you're the first person that isn't Irish. But I didn't want to interview you and have you, you know, represent women or or represent... Or America. Or or America, (laughs) yeah. yeah. (laughs) So I ended up asking you, you know, what interests did you have or what have you studied and what's your degree in? I have a degree in psychology, an undergraduate degree. Okay. And I asked then, and I'll ask again now, Mm. what... Psychology is kind of split into different camps. There's different types of psychology, say. Mm -hmm. So which one have you done or what are you most proficient in or or what does that Um, play? It doesn't get as concentrated as you would think at an undergraduate level you have to either do a master's or a phd to get something in say like social psych or health psychology or even uh, clinical psychology which is probably the most commonly known one because that's your average psychologist but at an undergraduate level it's more just an introductory class to all of those so showing you research and showing you all the different concentrations you could do so it's just very kind of bare minimum with any undergraduate degree that doesn't really have any specialty unless you're doing something like engineering so it doesn't have a lot of um utility i don't think it, it's a very versatile degree because because you're not specialized you can do a lot more yes so like you know i've been traveling around doing admin work and because i have a psychology degree i can market myself as someone that understands various personalities in the workplace and <laughs> i'm very adaptable so it has that advantage but then when you're actually trying to look for some straightforward utility from your degree, you're kind of at a loss, unless you do a master's or a PhD. Okay, well, I, yeah. like, the, I like the broad element. I mean, yeah. put it this way, if I was to decide I was going to do, I was going to commit to five years in college, I think I'd do five one-year-long right. broad courses, if that yeah. makes sense, instead of going too far down one particular avenue, say. Yeah. But if you were to gravitate to, is or do you gravitate to any one particular aspect of psychology or? Um, I guess if I had to choose, um, well, it would be social psychology because that's the kind of cliche uh, psychology that most people would think of. It's, you know, personality disorders, um, different personalities in general. So that's that would be what interests me the most and I guess why I started the degree in the first place because I would have gone towards psychology to learn more about people um, because as I was saying before we got on I want to write a book but I don't trust myself to or at least at the time I didn't trust myself to make believable enough characters that people would want to rally behind like very unique people in the story um, with all their different idiosyncrasies and so I took out a degree about people so that I could make more believable characters. Right, cool. Yeah. And what's the book about? Or can you t- how much of it yeah. can you tell me? <laughs> yeah. um, I'll, give you, I'll give you a bit. So the book will be toying with evolutionary genetics. Um, and I guess it, it'll be a story of how we've forcibly adapted ourselves to the limited resources on the planet that we've you know, somehow messed up in this apocalyptic universe that I'm going to create. Okay, and can you outlay out for me and everyone mm. else what, what genetics are? Like, I have a, a, a rudimentary understanding oh, of them at best, but yeah. g- give us your version. 
of what I'm going to do or my understanding of genetics is well a bit a bit a bit of both whichever you're more, <laughs> whichever you're more comfortable with say okay um so what the angle I'd be going with on the book would be um I guess how how we took technology that's developing now because there this technology does exist you know in CRISPR and like um what are they called designer babies people that you know want to have perfect babies that come out with blonde hair and blue eyes and look like Brad Pitt or something you can do that very expensive but it's something that can be done now um but I want to take that same technology and have it be used on a much wider scale like on the entire planet so that we've adapted to say survive on less water or eat different kinds of foods that are only available after we've scorched the planet or the sun's become too intense or something like that so but then I want to take it a step further where the genes and the evolutionary process that we thought we had under control goes out of our control to keep on adapting in real time it takes on a life of its own so yeah yeah pretty much that's but yeah that's the angle I'd be going with yeah okay I think a lot of us will have seen the picture of the first one megabyte hard drive being loaded into a lorry on a forklift. Have you, have you seen that picture? No. You know the way you can get, let's say, a, a five gig memory stick now that, you know, or even a, you can probably get a terabyte memory stick that just clips onto your keys these days. Yeah. But the first one meg, mm-hmm. the, the very first external hard drive, say, was the size of a house and it oh. didn't have the space to hold a photograph on it. <laughs> but at the time, it was fucking cutting edge. It, yeah. was the, it was the tip of the spear and there's there's really cool photos coming out of places like maybe Dell and IBM, the, the crowds that would have developed this first and literally a one megabyte hard drive mm-hmm. being picked up and loaded into a, a truck <laughs> via forklift. Like, And I wonder is there... <laughs> me that loves me analogies I love I wonder is there an analogy there between what happened there and what's happening now with CRISPR so now CRISPR the stage that CRISPR is at and you know gene messing about with genes generally they're loading it into the into the truck these days but in 50 or 100 years time yeah exactly you'll have a gene splicing app on your phone (laughs) yeah Yeah. so that's what I'm trying to figure out is like I've been kind of taking the time out to really map what how, like what events what chronological events led to what happens in the story the, you know the premise cuz looking at examples like of um J.R.R. Tolkien or even J.K. Rowling who have such a well established world they have a different language they have um myths and you know genealogies and families and a very just specific world that's very believable that's drawn so many people in and you know you've been able to make movies out of them because all the ingredients were already in the book so well laid out and I want to be able to create something like that not because I want a franchise out of it that's not the uh, not the goal if that happens that would be cool but, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not I don't see that in the foreseeable future I just want to create something that is believable but fantastic at the, at the same time that will take you out of whatever world you're in and transport you into mine into whatever universe I send you to and have you explored the idea of setting this you know on Mars maybe or you know something to that effect no no I actually hadn't um that's an interesting thought huh. I want at least 10% <laughs> of anything I mentioned yeah. in this podcast goes into the, goes into the book okay it'll go to you and Elon Musk yeah <laughs> <laughs> Um, so 
what's the downside or what's what are we currently doing? Because I've heard this idea of designer babies. And mm. as far as I'm aware, you know, if you want to have your kid with, you know, blue eyes or one blue eye and one green eye, like that's yeah. all fairly pedestrian these days. It's kind of, um, it's no big deal really, I think is it? So. I um It's expensive, I, say. But. Yeah, very expensive. As far as I know, what it's being used for mainly is like, uh, you can get genetic screenings. So see if whatever fetus or baby that is, you know, growing over the next nine months um, will have Down syndrome or a certain kind of genes. And that can lead parents to a path of, you know, do we carry on with this pregnancy or do we terminate as the clinical term is? Okay. So that's that's a very controversial um, tool that it is now or the controversial take on not take what am what am I saying? <laughs> no, no, no. no I, yeah. I, I, I get where you're coming from entirely. Mm-hmm. You can see how um, religious people say would have a, a massive issue. Yeah. Not even yeah, religious people. That's not fair to say. Anybody who's concerned with you know morals or ethics, yeah, would is would be mad not to be concerned. Yeah, because if you can, if you can screen for, you know, brown eyes or blue eyes, mm. or you know, presumably you can do it with height and. Yeah you know, skin colour and, you know, deafness or blindness and things that, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with these things, Mm -hmm. but, you know, do you want your child to have them? And then I think we actually were just chatting beforehand again and you mentioned the idea of the the kind of flip side of that whereby, let's say for argument's sake, a deaf couple might prefer Mm. to have a deaf child. Yeah, exactly. Um, And even um, families with dwarfism would prefer to have a child that also has dwarfism rather than being a uh, adult of full height. Yes, so, from a... Just because it's their way of life and their culture and they want to be able to pass that on to their child and they don't see it as a disability, just a different way of life. Whereas, like, I would view being deaf as a disability. I rely so much on my hearing to cross the street, to hear if someone's rang the doorbell, um, to have conversations like this one. You know, I can't read your lips and I can't read your thoughts, so I need my hearing. But there are people that would want to be deaf because they see it as, like, their way of life, you know. Like, um, they don't know any other way, and to have hearing would almost be a disability to them. Yeah, no, no, absolutely, mm. yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's it's just fascinating. And CRISPR, can you can you explain what that is? In again, in 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 limited fashion, like I have a, yeah. the very, but my understanding of it is they're the company that does what we're talking about. Yeah, and that's um, that's the extent of my knowledge. Are they American based? Or do Google own them? I don't think they're American them? based. Uh, I don't know. Where are they, I where also are they have based? a very limited understanding or knowledge of CRISPR. I have a feeling. It's German. Leave it up to the Germans. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I was about to say something controversial. <laughs> this is the platform yeah, for Yeah, I was going to say, up to no good again. <laughs> sorry. So to all my hundreds of thousands of German listeners, I'm very, very sorry. <laughs> sorry that I'm being your stereotypical American here. Of course, yes. Representing Jesus, my yes. really racist country, here I am. Um, Tone down the crassness, please, yeah, and the loudness, I can, okay? it's ingrained. <laughs> um... CRISPR, as what I understand is that you can either make the the way that gene editing is now is that you can make something hereditary or not hereditary. So there you could edit genes in someone like a light switch, you know, turn something on or off, um, you know, genes that would make you predisposed to having some type of 
condition later in life or maybe even some type of mental illness. Um, I think that that's something you can do. And when you say condition, it could be, you know, you have a certain gene that uh, will predispose you to Alzheimer's or diabetes. Yeah, or, or you know, give you cataracts later in life. Yes, or something cancer like, or anything. Yeah, like. yeah, exactly. So something like that. Um, but it's only limited to me. So if they did it to me, I would only have it, but all my children will still get cataracts. Um, or they can do it so that I will have cataracts, but all the generations to come from my bloodline will not because of whatever gene editing they did. And I think that's what's happening now. You know, I'm not entirely sure, but I, that's my understanding of it. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. basically, what what I what I try and do with with the with the kind of conversations that I'm having is give people a window into into different topics. So. Mm. I don't expect you or anybody else to be that much of an expert in something, so long as you're interested in it. Yeah. And that 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 interest is like what what do they say? Enthusiasm is contagious. Mm. So if somebody's listening to this, if they want to go off and find out exactly what CRISPR is, I mean, just stick it into Wikipedia and you yeah. find out where it's from. And then tell me because I obviously and, don't know. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So don't don't get too hung up on the on the details. Mm. If if we get the gist of it across, that's right. That's a success. Yeah. So that's another thing that's kind of put a roadblock in front of me in terms of writing my book it's because I tend to be a perfectionist like most other people you're your own worst critic and I don't want to do something half-ass I don't want to write a sci-fi book about gene editing technology that I clearly don't know much about I don't even know its origins so I want to be able to learn more but there's only so much that I can learn off a TED talk or off listening to a Sam Harris podcast um even you know reading books that I find or that are recommended to me off Goodreads or something so I'm toying with the idea of taking a master's in some type of genetics or if I'm going to you know, do health psychology or evolutionary studies or environmental studies. I really don't know what's next because I have too many interests, um, which you know, isn't a bad thing, but it is when you're trying to pick a specific program and a career path for the rest of your life. That's indicative of people who are perfectionistic, I think, though, is it? That you mm. can't settle on something because if you settled on something, then you'd have to kind of perfect it. Yeah. So if you, like, I, I find that like, I, I'd be quite perfection, perfectionistic, if that's a word. It is now, but um, <laughs> I'd be quite the perfectionist. But the, and that sounds great on the outset, mm. but realistically, I've winded up having a lot of half finished projects. Right. Because if I finish something, then it, and it wasn't done perfect it'd be a bad job. Yeah. But if I have finished something, it's like, oh, that's not quite finished yet. Yeah. So it's not a bad job. It's just unfinished. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I'd be very much the same. Um, I think that's one of the anxieties that really troubles a lot of um, teenagers when they're leaving high school or, um, and going on to college is that, you know, you have to make a decision about what type of degree you're going to get, but that degree will more than likely shape your future. And how are you supposed to know what the hell you're going to do with the rest of your life at the age of, you know, 17 or 18? It's a really, really daunting decision. Very. But even now as a 23-year-old woman and trying to pick another degree, like, you know, I've traveled around a bit. I've already taken one out. I have no idea what I want to do with the next one whenever it comes. Like, I feel like I'm constantly surrounded by question marks to the about the future the end the end game is writing though is it yeah i've always been writing i okay. i've i've had a journal since i was seven 
I've always written. But the the hard part is that I've always written about my own personal experiences. I've never written from the perspective of another person. And that's what I'm finding very hard at the moment is coming up with dialogue. So I have no I have no qualms with coming up um, or creating, you know, you know, the imagery and the the finer details of the world. So, you know, like the, the city itself or the landscape around it, even the trees, the animals, I can do all of that. But as soon as someone needs to open their mouth, I shit the brick <laughs> and I can't do it because I don't want to make dialogue that's corny, that makes you cringe. You're like, oh, God, these um, characters are so like, one dimensional. And is there... I would hate myself if I did that. Do you need a, a counterpart, say? Do you need somebody who you know, loves writing dialogue, does nothing but write dialogue, but mm. when it comes to, you know, the scene or the story, right. they, they shit a brick, you know? Yeah, I, I don't or know. Would, would you, is, it a, is it a solo endeavour? Oh, it's definitely a solo endeavour. Okay. Um, I think it's just something I'm not practised at, so I just need to do more of it. So I think that what is going to happen is just going to be like a few years or a few drafts of just really shitty writing and then keep polishing it and polishing it, hopefully not forever, Um but polish it until I feel somewhat satisfied with it. I don't feel like you'll ever be fully satisfied with your own work. At least I don't. No, um, not if you're per- not if you're perfectionist. <laughs> yeah. <can't> you? <laughs> so I'll get it to a point where I'm okay with re- people reading it, and hopefully that'll be good enough. Um, but yeah, so I'm just I've kind of have to resign myself to the fact that I'm going to make several drafts, and it's going to be quite a lengthy process. No, absolutely, and yeah. I think monetizing your creativity is is particularly hard as well so mm. you're going realistically you're going to have to basically get a job and have a career or, or move around yeah. and work your ass off exactly and do this on on the side which so. is really hard to because i tried writing after i graduated but you know as soon as i left austin i moved to portland and was working at a clinic there and that was emotionally and mentally exhausting because i was working at a pediatric eating disorder clinic and talking to parents on the phone every day like that just sucked my brains out by the time I got home all I wanted to do was sleep and eat chocolate and maybe cry like I couldn't write anymore a a pediatric eating disorder so kids with uh, bulimia and stuff like Mm -hmm. that six to 18 years old we'd take as young as six sometimes you get four or five year olds or parents of four and five year olds that would call and is that like is that an illness or is that a psychological Um, thing or is it a symptom of abuse or what is that it can be all of that it can be a combination of things there's a lot of factors that go into having an eating disorder so it can be hereditary is is part of it like you could be genetically predisposed to having an eating disorder and can you be screened for it say before it um, maybe yeah manifests itself yeah maybe there's like a gene that makes you predisposed to it i'm not sure there's there's just with anything there's a lot of factors that feed into it um but typically what happened with the younger kids is that they would have a restrictive eating disorder so say they would have they were eating some popcorn one night with you in front of the TV and they choke on a piece of popcorn. You get the popcorn out. They're okay for the next couple of days. But then you realize that they don't want to eat popcorn anymore. Then they kind of stop eating crunchy foods altogether. Then it stops with solids and it just stops with food in general because they're scared of swallowing anything because they're going to choke. By that point, they've lost a lot of weight. Um, their heart rate's going down. They might need to be hospitalized. And so what the clinic I did um, how they handled that kind of restrictive eating disorder is a nasogastric tube. So they'd shove the tube up your nostril, Fuck. down the back of your throat, into your stomach. And then they would kind of tuck the the leftover, the tube behind your ear. Um, and that would feed into like a little food bag that you'd carry around with you. Like almost like an IV, but just going through your nose. Of And then they would slowly reintroduce food until you could eat on your own again. Right. Jesus. Mm. So that's typically what happened with the younger kids. Although there were some very young, I think the... 
the youngest person I saw there with anorexia was a, a very young boy. He was seven. And anorexia being refusing to eat, bulimia being throwing up what you've eaten. Am I right in saying that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, anorexia is kind of um, you tend to you tend to see it in people that are very intelligent, very perfectionist. They they tend to be you know like uh, captain of the football team or excellent ballerinas or valedictorian. Obsessive. Yeah, just very driven people that want to have control over everything. So it's it's a control thing. Uh, more often than not so controlling what goes in your body controlling the weight of your own body like resisting the urge to eat so it, it requires a lot of strength although most of the time all they're thinking about is food all the time but obviously yeah. well not obviously but you know if you haven't eaten in yeah. you know, days or weeks or mm-hmm. whatever it is yeah food is at the forefront of their mind and i always thought that anorexia again not to quiz you as, mm. as though you're an expert but right. um i always viewed anorexia as being a a body image thing is that not the case or is it's, it's probably that as well is it? yeah or? it can be that as well so there's people that have what's called body dysmorphia so they look in the mirror and they see a whale but when we look at them we see nothing but skin and bone yeah i actually heard a psychologist he his not his answer to that but his psycho, kind of psychotherapeutic way of, of explaining to let's say a person who was very slim who thought mm. they were obese mm. was he he placed his his tie, he stretched out his leg and placed his tie in a piece of paper and he traced out the outline of his tie. Oh. So you have the width of his tie on this piece of paper and then he right. got the patient to do the same and they draw the line mm. and then when you hand it up, when he handed her the the two pieces of paper, she could not wrap her head around what she was looking at because she was no longer looking at actually herself which she had the right dysmorphia yeah. with she was looking at four lines on you know two on each piece of paper that's really cool and she just couldn't get her head around how mm. one could be so much bigger than the other and one was obviously hers and one was obviously his yeah just, it's, it's fascinating but that's that's psychology for you isn't yeah. it like it's just so mm. it's insane like the how you can get trapped in your own head yeah yeah very incredible. much so yeah, well, not it's incredible for me in like a research perspective, not yeah. so much for the people going through it. <laughs> yeah, the poor tortured souls. Yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah, uh, that was my first job after I graduated. Right, and a, a great job to have in bearing in mind the book mm. that you're planning to write. Yeah, yeah. Like kind of an insight into that kind of mm-hmm. treatment world, because yeah. presumably with the and again, I don't I don't know how gene editing works, but is mm-hmm. it a like do you go in? For like a 15 minute procedure or is it something that happens over time? Or? I don't know. I can make it that way in the future. I can, <laughs> <laughs> whatever universe I create, I'm basically God, which is really cool because I can make anything happen. I can kill off whoever I want. I can make everybody have seven thumbs on one hand rather than all your normal fingers. And I can make that the norm just because I can do it. And is there a utopian or dystopian element or both to the book? I don't want to wanna make like a dystopian apocalyptic universe where all the teenagers fall in love and they're all like really sexy or something. That's <laughs> not what I want to write because there's so many of those. But it'll be it'll be a bit dystopian. Like the the world's gone to shit if we have to resort to like, you know, being able to survive on half a glass of water for a week if that's where we're at. And again, that's that's part and part of what you're talking about. So yeah. gene editing the human genome so that you can survive yeah. on forcibly adapting ourselves. Yes. Yeah. So basically ramping up evolution. Yeah. Playing Darwin. 
Playing Darwin. Oh, mm. there's a name. <laughs> yeah. Playing Darwin. Yeah. Nice. Again, I want 10%, at least 10%. You go <laughs> yeah. with the name Playing Darwin. Okay. <laughs> but uh, you mentioned Sam Harris there a minute ago. And yeah. have you listened or watched or, or read any of his thoughts on AI? Yeah, AI scares the shit out of me. <laughs> well, the, the reason that I mention it is there's a runaway element to that. Mm. There's hitting what they call the singularity when yeah. the machine can essentially think for itself. So yeah. you write a piece of software that can write a piece of software that mm-hmm. improves itself, yeah. that writes a better piece of software, that writes a better piece of software, yeah. and you have that positive feedback loop yeah. and, a, and an escape velocity. And then it kills all the humans. And <laughs> Pretty much, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But the reason that I mention that is there's an, ele- there's an element of that in gene editing or mm. is there like giving genes the power to, or changing genes you know could you get to a point whereby the genes start kind of making the decisions themselves in a sense or yeah that's that's a, a beautiful way to put it the genes start making the decisions for themselves because i want to have whatever characters are in my book to evolve in real time so that you know it's like i was saying earlier say i'm being i'm in a big open field a lion comes out of nowhere starts chasing me i either outrun this lion or i'm lion food so my genes give me they they start changing so that i have the ability to have say stronger muscles or more like better cardio i don't really know how it would work so that i would be able to outrun that lion and not become lion food yes yeah or give you the ability to jump into a tree and yeah get exactly or safety. like sprout wings I have to think of that logistically, but that, that's crossed my mind because <laughs> I've always wanted to have wings. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And what, um, you worked, You were, sorry, you started off in Austin. Yeah. So give us a bit of a background from yourself because you're, you're obviously not Irish. Yeah. So what's your... How what's, far back do you want me to give well, a background? What's the, what's, the, what's the gist like? I mean, where were, you, where were you born? Where did you grow up? Sure. Okay. So my parents are from Peru. They both grew up in Lima or really Miraflores. So then they would have... Uh, left Miraflores when they were about 25 or 30 and gone to America. And that's where my brother and I were born and raised. We're the first American generation of our family. And um, I was born in Miami, Florida, lived there till I was about 10. Um, my family had really, really bad economic trouble. So we ended up uprooting from Florida. Um, none of us wanted to leave because we were right by the beach. We were maybe like 20 minutes away, beautiful weather year-round. Ended up going out to the middle of bumfucking nowhere <laughs> in <laughs> Texas to Coppell <laughs> um, because my aunt had a house there and she ended up leasing it to us. Well, we were staying there for free for a bit until we could afford to pay the lease. And at the time, Coppell was a, it was a small town. It's not anymore. But it was tons of cows. Um, my parents had lived there actually before when it was only like a few roads in Coppell. And now most of those roads are four lanes wide or something. Just the main ones that go across from the different highways because uh, it's a transit town. 7-Eleven have their headquarters there now. Um, Amazon's going to have their headquarters because it's about 10 or 15 minutes away from the DFW airport. So it's a really good place to work in logistics or transport or anything like that. So that's why Coppell has become a new hub. Um, I hated Coppell. Well, I hated it enough to leave. As I was growing up, it was um, it was Mayberry. I don't know if you're familiar with that term. Mayberry? No, what's Mayberry? Mayberry is um, picture picture like a big classic American porch, and you've got mom and dad out there on the rocking chair, sipping on sweet iced tea. The kids are playing, fanning themselves. Yeah, it's so humid. That exactly. Kind of they're all wearing like white linen, whatever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The straw hats. Yeah. Or there's like a shiny <laughs> bottle of glass Coke sitting there. You know, it's like a Coca-Cola advertisement. People are 
playing kickball in the streets. Nothing bad ever happens. That's Coppell. It's Mayberry. Okay, sounds um, terrible. Yeah, <laughs> it is. It's a really like white conservative bubble full of snobby kids that get really fancy cars at a young age. So okay. I, I wouldn't have fit in with that stereotype because I would have showed up to Coppell as this very brown girl, um, dark hair, like enormous curls. I would, and all the girls had straight blonde hair and funny accents. Yeah, and it would have been freezing for me because we got there in November and everyone looked at me. You know, like who is this fucking foreigner? Even though they're fourth graders, so they're probably thinking that because fourth graders are cruel, and they're all asking me, you know, like where are you from? And I said, oh well, I'm from Peru. And they go, all oh, right, that's a city in Mexico, right? <laughs> Jesus, no, it's in South America. Where's South America? But probably in like thick Southern. Where's South America? Um, and yeah, so that's kind of the environment that I grew up in. Now it's a very kind of culturally diverse area, um, way more people of Indian descent than you would find white people now because of the school district and tiger parenting, you know, parents wanting their kids to excel. What's that? Sorry, tiger parenting? Tiger parenting, yeah. What's tiger parenting? Um, Tiger parenting, think of like really aggressive parents that will only accept A's and if you bring home a B, you're sleeping outside, no dinner. Right. Yeah, no hugs unless you graduate from high school with a 4.0, then I'll give you your first hug of your life. That's tiger parenting. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. And why are the tiger... Tiger parents call them drawn to, to this place? Because Coppell has one of the best public school districts in Texas. So, and we have one of the best athletic programs as well. And it's a very wealthy area. It would be one of the top wealthiest areas in Texas. So it's a very ideal place to raise your child because it's very safe. Um, the school is good. You're right next to Dallas or Fort Worth if you're commuting. So it's just a very ideal spot for parents to raise their kids yeah 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 and not ideal for you to grow up in because obviously you grow up hating it but then you leave this bubble and you realize oh my god Coppell is really not that bad well I thought it was awful because I ended up going to Austin and realized I'm just a big dirty hippie (laughs) and I don't (laughs) fit in with anyone from home um Austin's the place for you so yeah Austin really is the place for me I really blossomed there I guess and what age were you when you up sticks to Austin I would have been 19. So I I didn't do the normal college route. Most kids will graduate high school and immediately go for their four-year degree. They would have left home. Um, I'm sorry sorry to cut across you, but what age does that happen? Because typically here in Ireland, you'd be 17, more than likely 18, when you finish, let's say, secondary school, which is the equivalent of high school, is it? Yeah, And then you go off to college. So you'd be 17 at the youngest, say, in college. 18 would be more typical. Is that the same Yeah, so you would typically... Um, graduate high school at the age of 17 or 18. Okay, so and same as here. Yeah, I think you have to legally be in school until you're 18. Okay. I'm not sure. Don't quote me on that. Um, but most people would just immediately leave home after that and go straight to the university, but I didn't really have the financial means to do that. So I lived at home for the first year and a half of my college experience, and I went to a community college, which was kind of soul-crushing because all my friends left and they were off doing these big things, and... I felt like I was trapped in this Mayberry bubble with my parents going nowhere and I'd end up being a barista in my hometown for the rest of my life. It was a really hard time because <laughs> I thought <laughs> I was going nowhere. But I think that that year and a half at home not only saved me a lot of money, saved me a lot of um, struggles at school, like in terms of trying to keep my GPA up because the, the classes I was taking were easier Um, And I was able to transfer in like that, having all my basic classes done. And then I just go straight into my degree. But I think it really gave me the drive 
to just leave, just to want to get up and go. Because since I've graduated, I've been kind of nonstop traveling. And whenever I go home, it's just to be home, rest, kind of look around, remember why the fuck I left, <laughs> and then get up and go again. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I think that it just, it really gave me drive to just, like, like it showed me my biggest fears, and then it also showed me how not to fall into them. So it was a, it was, it was a really tough year and a half of learning. Like, at the time, I didn't see it as that. I just saw it as punishment. Um, yes, of course. But after that, I think I really grew as a person. No, no, in a I, way that my friends couldn't. Yes. Yeah, it's a it, very humbling experience. Yeah, they had it nearly too good. Yeah. Like I only spoke recently there mm. in a solo episode about the idea of having a, a heaven to strive for and a hell to avoid. Yeah. That was your, yeah. and probably still is your hell to avoid, yeah. not well, ending up like that. So. Exactly, because they would come home and, you know, they didn't mean any badness by it, but they would come home and they would see other people that would be, you know, high school burnouts that would have never left Coppell and are still in the area and they would always be like oh god they're going nowhere look at them and they'd kind of look at me and be like oh no but you're different you know it's not going to happen to you I'm like is it is it really that different you're just being an ass (laughs) so um and now friends of mine that have had to go back kind of realize what an experience that is to stay at home like to go back to the nest after you've already flown out of it and I keep telling them, like, it's going to suck. You know, you're going to feel really isolated, but it's going to be humbling. And you're going to learn a lot about yourself. So it's funny now that the roles have reversed. Yeah. I can't hide the um, kind of satisfaction of it, too. <laughs> like, <laughs> Every last laugh. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so what did you love about Austin? Because I've, I've been to Austin. I met you over there. Yeah. For, yeah. Uh, I forgot originally. about that. Yeah. So I kind of have a better understanding of Austin mm. than, than most people would. Yeah. And certainly than I like I had a clue what or where Austin even yeah, was. Yeah. I, I took you touring around in the car. Yeah, you did. Yeah. yeah. No, you were a great guy. But yeah. can you outlay for people, you know, what Austin is? Because Austin isn't just another American city. No, I think more so than any other American city. Like every American city will kind of claim, or at least try to claim, that right. they're not just an, another American city. But, but Austin, yeah. Austin really is out on its own. Yeah, isn't it? Austin is the liberal ha- safe haven of the South. So that in itself makes it a very unique place because yes. the characters that gravitate to there, even from all across America, will go into the deep South, you know, a notoriously conservative and racist place, but find this one speck of green, beautiful hippiness out in the middle of southern West Texas. And it is green. Yeah, it, it's that, in that's the green belt. come to mind. Yeah, and that's another surprising thing um, is that there's so much vegetation. It's very hilly, which is very different to the rest of Texas because Texas is pretty much flat. And the weather's gorgeous most of the time. And there's great swimming holes, like aquifers, creeks, lakes. There's a really big outdoor scene to be had in Austin. You know, like a lot of outdoor bars where people will walk around barefoot with their dogs and have beards that touch their knees like that's that kind of place yeah and why didn't it given where it is mm. and how garden of eden s yeah <laughs> it is why didn't it become a, a kind of a, a whites only haven if uh, that makes that's sense. kind of what's happening now there's a lot of gentrification that's going on in austin to make more like um more touristy areas so like a lot of the downtown remember going to rainy street it's the first place we we brought you we went to a place called the container bar which yes. was yeah so that whole area was a neighborhood full of primarily black and latin american 
people. Yeah, but they class, were class, real cool, yeah. bespoke, right. groovy. Yeah, exactly. Austin-esque. Until you realize that all the white people came in, bought them out, destroyed their houses, rebuilt them into craft breweries. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, kills the magic, right? Little bitch, yeah. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah, but that that's what's happening in Austin. So most of more genuine parts would be East Austin, which is where a lot of people don't really go out to yet. So it's still like the um, the hipster part of Austin would be out in the East. And is that where we would have seen the um, food traders? Is that what they're called? Or the food trucks. They well, they're kind of all trucks. around, but there's... Um, like you have to want to go to East Austin to go there because most people will stay. A lot of the residents in Austin will either be um, like recent graduates or currently in Austin for school. So you kind of avoid the West Campus area if you want a genuine experience. You either go south or you go east. So you go across the highway because Austin's built like a grid. And so you go across the, um, I think it's 35. Um, and then there's like a whole area that's more run down. It looks a bit more shabby, but there's much better food and a much better like quiet scene. It's not next to Sixth Street where it's like tons of frat boys trying to buy you drinks filled with roofies. You go and you have a nice uh, drink with your friends out in East Austin. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a bit more laid back. I don't know if you went there. I can't, oh, God, I, I don't know. We're honest. Yeah. I'm, uh, yourself and uh, Pat brought me God knows how many different places. But yeah. I, I love the place. And, yeah. But where did it... Where did it get its like? What's that tagline? Keep Austin weird. Like yeah, the, keep Austin weird. Where did that? Where did that even I don't come know, from? No, but Portland's stolen it. So Portland now does keep Portland weird, but it would have started in Austin. And they I do not. Portland yeah. have ripped them off. Have they? Yeah, yeah, they, exactly. The, but there is synergies, if that's the right word, between the mm. two. That they ever, I've never been to Portland, yeah, but I believe so, they're, they're quite similar. Yeah, Austin has food trucks. Portland has food carts. Keep Portland weird. Keep Austin weird. They both have their like a giant population of hipsters that drink nothing but craft beer and, and, what, and tacos. What, what brought everyone the, eats tacos? <laughs> what brought the hipsters to Austin and, and Portland? Like, what was the what was the draw originally? Austin was always a really weird place, um, but then it became a cool kind of weird, and then it just kind of became a national sensation and an international sensation because it's the live music capital of the world. I'm not really sure how it became this big thing, but. My cousin's husband grew up in Austin and would have seen, like, the Austin that he grew up with and the Austin that is now is totally different. It's, like, really disingenuous to call that Austin the the same one. Back yes. then, it was it was cool to be in Austin. It was really, it was actually really strange, and there were hardly any skyscrapers. And now, like, the Austin skyline is dotted with huge buildings because everyone's trying to make a profit out of how cool Austin is. Of course, yeah. yeah. That was a cool element that... It was a double-edged sword, really. There was a lot of restaurants that we went to. You had to queue for half an hour to get yeah. near the place. Yeah. But the the cool thing about that is the reason that there was queues literally out the door, down mm-hmm. the street, and around the corner is because they didn't embrace the rampant capitalism of mm. we're full every day so let's add more tables. Yeah. We fill those every day. Let's add on another wing. Yeah. And that that's it's so cool though because it yeah. it keeps I don't know it keeps um it keeps it kind of special, it keeps it unique and it 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 keeps it saves room for other people to start mm-hmm. up and to have more of the same as opposed to having you know, you know 
super restaurants that seat 500 people and yeah. no one cares. Yeah, it's definitely a city that embraces local businesses and um, and just really good food. We Most of the time, it's not the case now because I... I've seen the drag since, but the drag is the main part of West Campus that um, faces Guadalupe, Driver Street, or Road, whatever it is. And typically before, you wouldn't have seen any chains on there, but now you, there's like a 7-Eleven and a Target and everything on there. But Austin, for a long time, really wanted to keep chain restaurants out of the downtown area and only have local restaurants in. Since then, that's kind of changed because the population is growing rapidly and stuff. But still, you will find a lot more small businesses in the Austin area than you would chain restaurants. And you like you'd even go for a really long drive out to get really good barbecue. So there's the Salt Lake which is maybe 30 or 40 minutes out into the middle of nowhere. You drive south for ages like through farmland and stuff until you come to this random barbecue, but it's got the biggest parking lot ever and there's a huge line and it's nothing but meat and some sides and they only accept cash. And you have to you like you have to know whoever's driving out there has to know you know kind of how to get there because it's if you go at night which you more than likely will you'll find deer on the road and stuff so you have to be willing to drive through all the big hills and whatnot to get there class yeah it's a good experience really delicious food i'm yeah. promoting salt lick uh, i also want 10 percent <laughs> of the profits <laughs> and you were in austin then for what would it have been four or five years oh, not long enough maybe two and a half Okay. Yeah. And then finished up your degree there. Yeah. And up six to Portland. Yep. Where you were working in. Uh... Yeah, Cartini Clinic is the name of the clinic. Okay, and that was pedi- pediatric eating disorders. Yes, Jesus, that is rough. Yeah. Um. So how long were you there? Or I would have been there from May to September, and then after September, um, the reason that I left so early is because Pat um didn't have the the right working requirements to be in America that long. So since he left, I didn't want to stay there by myself and we had other plans. So I came here to meet him and we traveled around for a bit. And then I went home, packed up the rest of my things and we went to Australia for a year. We're there on a working holiday visa. What were you doing over there in Australia? Did you get work over there? Yeah, I did. Oh God, that was Um, (laughs) probably one of the most half-baked things I've ever done because we kind of showed up at the end of November. I flew on Thanksgiving Day, so I was flying with a belly full of turkey, getting ready, you know, so excited about Australia, thinking it was all going to work perfectly. We get there, it's hot as balls. (laughs) And and wherever we were, the, the house that we had first, like, you know, it was all going really well until it got infested with huntsman spiders and cockroaches. And it was a hot box because it was like a garage that had been turned into some glorified studio, uh, studio flat. And so it was under the house. There was no sunlight really that came in. There was no air ventilation that would go through. It didn't have AC. So all we had was these, flan- these fans that were circulating basically our sweaty air around. <laughs> and like we had... Another, uh, like a glorified toaster oven thing where we had two rings and a toaster thing that was supposed to be an oven. So you could either use the two rings and not the oven or one ring and one oven or and the oven on. Because if you tried to use all of it, it would cut out all the power in the Check house. The yeah, in our studio and the house that's actually above us, which was really nice and had AC and no <laughs> bugs because the bugs travel down into the depths of the house where we fucking were. So <laughs> that was miserable because... I didn't get work for about two months. I must have sent maybe 10 applications a day. And nobody told us that 
fucking Australians take all of December and January off to go have a holiday and no one does anything. So I, we came literally at the worst time to the worst city and we're in the worst apartment that was really expensive. So it, it started off to really just on it started on a really bad note. But on the 1st of February, I got work. Right. And I worked. Again, so, I'm sorry to cut across you, yeah. but when, what are the two months? December and January? December and, yeah, December and January. Being the height of their summer. Yeah, the height of the summer and the holidays. Okay. Yeah, and so most people just take off because it's, all the kids are off from school. Uh, Christmas is right around the corner. New Year's, which is, you know, the biggest celebration in the Sydney area. So a lot of people go to Sydney to see New Year's, the Chinese New Year as well. Um, and like some people will leave to go take skiing holidays. So a lot of people go to Japan. Um, but yeah, February 1st, I started work and I started working for the Scouts of Australia, the, the Queensland branch. Yeah, I learned m- so much about scouting that I will ever want to in my entire life. <laughs> I don't know what to do with the knowledge now. It's just tying knots and oh god, oh god, <laughs> like ordering gray wolf badges because little Johnny figured out how to climb a fucking tree. Like it was, it was a lot, and people take it so seriously. I picked up the phone so many times to people getting pissy because I wasn't addressing them with you know like district commissioner Charles or something because that's their they're fucking volunteers. You do this for fun. Like why are you getting so upset about it? Oh. So I, I dealt with that for about six months. Made some really good friends out of it, though. Lifelong friends. Ended up going to one of their weddings. Was invited to two other ones, but I can't. I don't have the money to go back and go to both. Um, so in terms of people, like I made some really good friends there. But fuck me and fuck the Scouts. I'm never doing that again. <laughs> <laughs> but it's funny though, because the Scouts is that's a real American thing. Like it's a really yeah. kind of stereotypical American. Yeah, which thing. is why I was like what the hell are they doing in Australia? So in America, it's separated to the Boy Scouts and the Girl Scouts. But in Australia, it's just the Scouts. And it's basically the same thing. They still have, you know, all the survival skills. Well, I feel like in Australia, it's a bit more intense because you actually need to learn how to survive because there's a lot of things that want to kill you out there. Yes, Um, most things. Yeah, most things. (laughs) Um, So I feel like they get better outdoor training than they would in America. Um, But, like, there's still... Like the same kind of, I don't know, seediness from back in the day of older troop leaders molesting oh, younger ones. So Jesus. like the, that same kind of grossness was there, which I wasn't too surprised by because that's kind of the rumor or, or like the like when someone says they were in the scouts, you go, oh yeah, and like did you you know did you get molested? Or how often did you? Get yeah, yeah, how yeah. often <laughs> did you get molested? Yeah. Um, so that was still present there. One of my poor friends actually was the. Um, the officer that dealt with all the complaints and like old lawsuits. And since I was the secretary, I would have to do a lot of the invoices for the different lawyers that were involved in the cases. And I was helping like selling off some of our property assets to pay for the lawsuits and stuff like that. Jesus. Yeah. So some of it was heavy. A lot of it was just really monotonous work. Um, so I could listen to podcasts and just do paperwork all day, but I was by my friends, so I didn't mind it too much. And I was, um, I ended up being like a, five minute cycle away from work oh happy days that yeah. itself yeah yeah exactly so that wasn't too bad and then after my six months were up because i can only work six months with one employer on that visa we ended up moving down to sydney and at that time there was only four months left on my visa so i worked four months for the city of sydney council as a business support officer at the pine street creative arts center which was a very small office. The office is smaller than the tunnel that we're in now. Like cut it in half and that's the office I was in. Right. Um, maybe about 
at max three people in the office a day. So I really got to know everyone that I worked with. But really turbulent atmosphere there. Because a lot of artists that don't know how to do any admin work, um, don't know how to be organized. Uh, Creative people who don't know how to be organized? Right. I don't believe oh, it. Oh, so surprising. <laughs> <laughs> and they all have the biggest egos and they were at each other's throats. They're like, I would come into the office with people sobbing and yelling and like slamming doors. And I felt like I was in middle school and I was the one adult there, even though I was the youngest by at least 20 years. <laughs> so so coming from the, the scouts to this. Yeah. So this, the person that I worked for was a very meticulous, very organized, friendly man. And he was the IT guru for all of Scouts Queensland. Um, so he taught me a lot and I became like pretty savvy with Microsoft programs or Adobe because I would create like fiddle, fillable PDFs for him and stuff like that. So he needed someone that could keep up with him and I was that person. But then I get to Pine Street and it was basically um, they created this new position because they knew they needed to get things organized in the environment in, in their work environment because they wanted to do business improvement. But they had no job description for me, no tasks. They basically just hired me, gave me an hourly wage, which was great. Um, but then they were like, all oh, right, well, here you go. And I knew nothing about anything. So it was very much figuring out everything on my own and then telling everyone what they needed to do um, if they wanted to keep the Creative Arts Center running. So I did a lot of like, spreadsheets for them, organizing the budget, like figuring out how to do payroll more efficiently, organizing everyone's contact details, editing the website, um, like organizing lesson plans so that they didn't even have lesson plans for all the courses they'd been running. So I helped get lesson plans in. Um, I helped put the courses up on the website. So just general admin bullshit like that, that no one knew like certain shortcuts in. Like, the, you know how you press control, like C or control V to copy and paste something? Yes. You don't even know how to do like the, the, like simple things like that. Yeah. That make a big difference. Yeah. You know, get a compounding difference. Yeah. There. So like I'm the kind of person that can, I can't look at my hands when I type. I need to be looking at the key, at the screen okay. and I can type really fast. But everyone there was like looking down and like yeah, using in, one index finger. finger type Not thing. maybe even one hand to type. Yes. So just like pushing all the buttons and it would take ages. So I would just type up everything for everyone. That's just Australians for you though, isn't it? Yeah. Fuck <laughs> <off>. <laughs> <laughs> but like the, so work was better in Brisbane, but quality of life, not so much. And work was shit in Sydney, but quality of life was superb. I got paid outrageously for what I was doing. And I was in a gorgeous city. We would, go to the beach all the time i had a car at that point because i ended up buying a really rinky dink car that i named maurice so maurice took us around um maurice broke several times (laughs) (laughs) it was just why i gave him such a seedy name because he was he's not to be trusted the old man um so maurice took us around a lot to different national parks and yeah so that it was a good way to end the year If, if the year had started like it did in sydney then we would have stayed a lot longer Anyone listening to this podcast, if you're thinking of going on a working holiday visa to Australia, don't go to fucking Brisbane and don't <laughs> land in Australia in December or January for the love of God and work with an, with a, an agency, a recruitment agency, because they'll make it so much easier for you. Don't do what I did. That's all I have to say. I've heard people say that the Australians, not that they're, not that they're any more racist, or maybe they are, but they, they, if they can give a job to an Australian you ain't getting the job. Did you notice that or come across that at all? Or Yeah. Um, I think, I guess, I just, the work ethic is different out there. So a lot of times people would go home because, oh, my stomach hurts, I ate too much cheese. Oh, I'll go home. And then they won't be here for like two days. 
Whereas in America, if you have a headache, if you're like bleeding out on the desk, I'm like, oh, are you still alive? Great. Finish that thing that I needed you to do. <laughs> so like in America, no one gives a shit about you. So you always have to work. Whereas in Australia, I got sent home a lot or people try to send me home because I was like, oh, I kind of think I'm getting a migraine. They'd be like, get up, like leave as if I was going to give them my migraine too and infect everyone there. <laughs> yeah, you were contagious. Yeah. Or something, I mean, which is great because I got to go home a lot <laughs> for, for little Oh, here things. comes that migraine again. Yeah. Oh, darn. Can't work anymore. Um they're they're very well I don't want to say they're very relaxed because I, I expected them to be you know that like I had it in my head that Australians would be that kind of surfer cliche person that are just like want to be on the beach all day like oh don't worry about it mate but they ended up being really kind of tight asses and it's a really regulated country like I it's a nanny country Really? Yeah. You know, don't jaywalk. Don't say that because it's offensive. Or like they have um, laws in Australia that prohibit you from saying anything publicly that would hurt somebody else's feeling, like harmful speech. Whereas in America, you protect the speech you hate the most, which is one thing that I found really different. But it's just it's a very kind of conservative, regulated country. And they're not as relaxed as you'd like them to be. And how does that how does that kind of manifest? Like how does how do you um, how did you notice that say? I think people because people would hear my voice, they would immediately ask me about the political situation in America and Trump and like what's going on, but then they'd give me their view on it. So they'd be like, Well, why don't you just buy all the guns back like we did here? You know, that worked, so it would work in America. And go, oh yeah, but no. <laughs> no, it wouldn't, <laughs> or else we would have done that. Of course. And we won't because the NRA control everything. So. But so we're very black and white. It worked here. Why couldn't it work Yeah, exactly. Else? Or like, oh, you can't be saying that. You know, you should have. I bet everything would be better over there if you had, um, if you didn't have freedom of speech, but just like, you know, controlled it a bit like we do here. I'm like, you know, just different things like that. And, you know, Pat got pulled over for on. He was riding his bicycle. He was parked at a, a streetlight and the pedestrian crossing went on on the opposite side we were trying to go so he just you know from the road just went onto the pedestrian crossing got pulled over by three cops one on a bicycle one on a motorcycle and one in a car <laughs> telling him you can't be fucking doing that and we're gonna give you a warning now give us all your details and he goes what the fuck <laughs> did they fall asleep and wake up in 1984 like? yeah right and yeah oh my god it's they're watching everything because since I, I worked for the city of Sydney Council, I got to go into town hall and see all the CCTV cameras that they have for the area. Yeah. So, like, we were zooming into people's faces walking around this Sydney Opera House, and the camera was well across the harbor. But you can see them perfectly, like, watching people drink their coffee. And there's a team of people sitting there in front of the CCTV cameras just watching you do everything. And what's their remit? I mean... um, It's to catch people, you know, like, fucking with... Uh, public property, defacing statues, or mugging and, and, someone. And does that happen? Or? It does, yeah. So okay. while I was up there, they got a call of someone like wandering around suspiciously in front of this place, um, and they were able to like go back in the footage and find the person, get like a description of them, and then they sent off the cops. Right. Yeah, but like they're watching you very well. It's kind of scary. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, how do you find like if like the sweeping generalization of you Yanks is... I hate being called a Yank. Really? Well, because I'm not a Yank. I'm from the South. So anytime that... What is a Yank then? A Yank is someone from the North. Oh, really? Yes. I always would have associated a Yank as an American. No. See, everyone outside America would call us a Yank. But if you called me a Yank, 
like you did just now. <laughs> <laughs> like it kind of rubs me up the wrong way because I'm from the South. I'm a Southerner. Okay. I grew up in yeah. I grew up in Florida and in Texas. A Yank is someone you'd call from the Northeast Coast. The Northeast Coast being kind of New York. Yeah. Okay, yeah, that's Boston. a Yank to me. Yeah. Okay. And like, and we sound different, and we approach people differently. I would look people in the eye more often, be very smiley. I wouldn't say howdy, but I would <laughs> way blow. Yeah, I do say y'all. You do, um, you do. Yeah, a lot. Um, but yeah, it's it's we're very not very different, but you can kind of tell. That yeah, well, look, it, it makes sense. I mean, I'm, I I live here in Navan, and I'm completely different to mm. a dub that lives, you know, a half an hour drive away yeah. from here. So you extrapolate that to mm. the state of Texas, which is in itself is probably a hundred times bigger than Ireland, and then it's one of fifty I think states. It's eight times bigger than is Ireland? it eight big? Well, do you know yeah. what I mean? Eight times big. One state, yeah. eight times bigger than mm. our entire country. So, but um. Sorry, I cut you off. No, 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 you're grand, you're grand. It's the the nature of these conversations. They tend to be quite Mm. tangential. Like, Don't call me a fucking yank. (laughs) (laughs) Note to self. What do I call you then? Like, is there a... Julie? uh, I don't know. No, but (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, is there there a... If if people from the Northeast are called yanks, are you Southerners or... Oh, people would, like, jokingly call me a Southern Belle. A Southern... Southern Belle? A like a, a girl from the south, like a young girl. Okay, a Southern Belle. Okay, yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, but I wouldn't. I don't think I'd really like being called Southern Belle. Either. I don't know. You just call me a Texan. Texans are very proud of being from Texas. And do you identify as being Texan? Texan. Yeah, rather than from Florida. Yeah. Okay. Which is strange because you were in Florida for a lot longer than you were in Texas. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I would have. Well, not anymore. But I would have moved from Florida when I was about nine and a half or ten. Okay. Um, and that, like, growing up in Florida was very different from growing up in Texas. But all of my friends now and all of my favorite memories are from Texas. So I would identify as a Texan. Okay. And you were like, a... I, I barely know Florida anymore. I just have, you know. Childhood memory. Type yeah, exactly. Things. Like, I, I remember being at certain beaches and, you know, finding seahorses and, and seaweed and, like, burying myself in the sand. Like, those are the type of memories that I have. I also remember speaking Spanish in schools, most of the people there being brown. Um, I remember driving through the Everglades. Um, I remember traffic being, like, tons of traffic happening because crocodiles would come out of the Everglades and go across the highway. No way. And you need to, like, either you'd wait for animal control to come and pull them off, or there'd be a really ballsy person that would get out of their truck and grab them by the tail and yank them to the side of the road so people could keep driving. Because you're not about to run over a giant crocodile in the middle of the road. Yeah, yeah, So I remember stuff like that, um, but not so much specific places or people um i just remember kind of moments in time yeah no nuance no yeah, yeah no yeah, experiences exactly. say mm-hmm. um so you were yeah so what i was asking was the, the what's the i suppose what was your opinion of australia before you went there because you must have had some idea what you were getting yourself in for the fact that you went there in the first place and the fact that it's fucking forever away like yeah. you couldn't really have gone further <laughs> yeah i knew that it was far away I knew that there'd be kangaroos. Um, I knew that there was the outback and I expected to be making good money. That's all I knew. It was really bad of me. I planned so poorly. Like we, we were coming up with cities and I knew a few friends that had lived or were from Australia just because they had studied abroad in Texas and because of where I lived, the the nature of the co-op is to have a lot of international students and a lot of like a very multicultural um, micro community and so I kind of went off of what they told me, which was not a lot because they were more interested in being America at the time. 
So when I showed up and I landed in the middle of the rainforest, surrounded by mountains, and there was all these flowers and crazy vegetation and these beautiful parrots, I was like, what the fuck? Am I in Hawaii? (laughs) (laughs) This is not what I expected. Where's all the red sand? Um, Yeah, and the Aborigines and the boomerangs, the kangaroos. Yeah, yeah. I was waiting for a crocodile Dundee to be at the airport (laughs) picking me up. (laughs) I don't know what, what the hell I expected, but it definitely wasn't Brisbane. Brisbane is gorgeous absolutely gorgeous because it's it's very it's a big country town still it's very rural and you really are in the valley of mountains and surrounding you are all these like beautiful cockatoos and wallabies and kangaroos and all these different things that will kind of come into the city and you only get glimpses of the wildlife that's just surrounding you every day but the city sucks there's nothing to do it's very sleepy because people the, the the kind of person that moves to brisbane is one that wants to settle down have a family and like they don't really go out except to go to the beach and if you want to go to the beach you need to have you put the whole family and the dogs in the car and you drive an hour north or south up and down the gold coast or the sunshine coast which we did a lot once we had friends with cars okay and sorry remind me again where 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 brisbane is is it northeast west uh brisbane is on the queensland coast pretty much so that's on the eastern side of australia it'd be northeast Okay, is that the, where the Great Barrier Reef is? That's way more north of okay. Brisbane. So the the Great Barrier, well, part of it would come kind of down to that area. It's fucking huge. It's though, enormous, fairness, yeah. So. But you have to go way out to find it. Um, but no, you'd, you'd be more accessible to the Great Barrier Reef up in Cairns or in like the Whitsunday Islands or okay, something like okay. that. Yeah. Okay, and the way I called you a yank there a minute ago and rubbed, <laughs> I rubbed you up the wrong way, is there other things that people will say or refer to you as that you you know like or dislike or you know what's the what's the misconception say about <laughs> um, america in general the first one that didn't come to mind wasn't about being american but a lot of people would call me mexican which really rubs me the wrong way and why would they call you mexican because there's a huge mexican population in texas because we're right next to mexico and we have like our history is really intertwined with mexico and our our cuisine is very well, technically it was Mexico well, it was part of Mexico yeah fuckers stole it yeah am I right in saying that long live the Alamo <laughs> <laughs> um, and then it became the Republic of Texas and it was its own country for a bit and then we joined the Union well, that's why reluctantly the... am I right in saying that no? I don't um, I'm not sure I don't remember uh, okay I'm gonna know. I'm gonna throw out a word here that what? I don't really know what it means confederacy Oh, God. Here we go. That's the word. (laughs) Was that the right word? Yes, Yes, it was. (laughs) No, that would not. That's not me. Thank God. But is it Texas or? Yeah, Texas would have been part of the Confederacy. Okay. And can can you lay that out for me and everyone? What is the Confederacy? Okay, so the Civil War happened in America because um, a few states seceded from the Union because they wanted to keep their slaves so that they could continue with their thriving cotton industry. And the Civil War started because Abraham Lincoln was like, hey, whoa. Well, I don't know if it was Abraham Lincoln at the time, but the Civil War started because you can't just leave the Union because you disagree with something that the government is making law or proposing to make law. So that's why it started. It didn't. It wasn't a war about slavery. It was a war about leaving the Union, and then it became a war about slavery. Okay, so and maybe just skip back a little bit mm. because your American history is going to be infinitely better than an an average Irish person's. Now yeah. again, you're not here as an Amer- as an as American a, historian, historian yeah. by any stretch, but if, if so long as the sentiment is there. So mm. the Europeans headed over to America yeah. and basically took over. Yeah. 
and were there for whatever amount of time mm. until they didn't identify as being, let's say, British anymore. They identified as being American. American. Yeah. And realised that far too much of their wealth was heading on ships back to the, the motherland, mm. basically being Britain. Right. Am I right in saying that? Um, yeah, well, I think they just wanted to have their own... Um, Independence. A- autonomy. Yes. Yeah. But it was it was the British they wanted to have their own autonomy mm-hmm. from from say. yeah because okay. the Spanish and the French and everyone was in like further south or way north and weren't maybe as organized or didn't have as much of a stranglehold or yeah because the the American Revolution would have been from the thirteen colonies which was primarily British if not all like English settlers okay and sorry the the American what did you call it the American Revolution yeah the American so Revolution so that's when they fought against the British to gain their independence yes hence what we now know as Independence Day yes brilliant okay right 17 something okay <laughs> there goes my American history so- <laughs> yeah. and from then like how much of a time frame was it to the Civil War so if that was 17 something uh, like 100 years later okay so 100 years later you had this you had this you know, was it called the United States from the start, do you know? God, well, you had whatever it was, this yeah. um, union of, of states, call it, yeah. and Texas for whatever reason. Do you know the reason said, screw you guys, I'm going home? <laughs> uh, is that what happened? They, they they opted to leave or they wanted to leave this union that had been established? Yeah, they would have been. I'm not sure. I'm not sure where Texas falls into all of that, to be honest. Um, I don't really know the line, like what states were in the Confederacy. Like, I'm sorry, what, 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 we've jumped back and we've gotten back to where I kind of inter- interrupted mm. you in the first place from. So the Confederacy, what was that? Say? The Confederacy was like the other half of the United States that left. So the Union was all of the United States. Okay. And then the part that seceded itself was the Confederacy. Okay. Yeah. So which is, they have the Confederate flag that you see a lot of racist, like... Southerners put on the back of the uh, truck or something. You still see it a lot this is everywhere. This, this is the same flag that would have been on the roof of the car in the Dukes of Hazard. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. So some people don't see it as a racist thing. A lot of people see it as a historical thing, like a legacy. Yes. Yeah. Um, but like, come on. Really? Again, I like I have no strong yeah. opinion on it either way because I I haven't thought about it. Being honest, it doesn't so, mean anything to me. I'm not too brown. I'm like. When I get pale, I get very pale and I could blend into any white crowd. You never pick me out, right? Yeah, yeah. In the summertime, I get quite brown, um, but I'm not that dark. And when, whenever I go with my friends to the beach in Galveston, like in the coast in the Gulf of Mexico, there's a lot of people there with Confederate flags that will give me dirty looks. And I'm born and raised in America. Yes. Like that's the kind of feeling that whenever I see a Confederate flag, I get uncomfortable. Yes, because and with good reason. Yeah, because pe- people are still racist towards me. Uh, subtly sometimes. Um, it hasn't been outright since I was a child, but like I get really uncomfortable when I see it because I'm like, oh, I'm not one of you. And what, what does having the, the Confederate flag hanging out of the back of your truck mm-hmm. or whatever the hell it is, what, what, what does it symbolize? Does it symbolize, you know, I'm a white nationalist, stay the fuck away from me, or I'm proud of my heritage, or, or what? A bit of like, both. Right. It kind of it kind of depends on the person. So some people just see it as a flag, you know, like, um, I'm from the South, my family's been here for ages, we are part of the Confederacy, this is our flag. Others will see it as, like, make America great again. 
um, fuck all you foreigners. Yeah, build that wall, even though we're all foreigners. I don't know where you're getting that from. (laughs) (laughs) So really, if anything, the Native Americans should be holding that Confederate flag and telling us all to get the fuck out. (laughs) Or the the biggest wall that's ever been constructed. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, So... That was the Confederacy. There's one for you. Mm. You say that some people, you know, for some people it's, you know, browns out. Yeah. And for some people it's just part of their culture and, you know, they, yeah. they, there isn't that racist undertone. Would you ever see uh, a person of colour, if that's the right term, with a Confederate flag? Say? Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah, so definitely. it does get really kind of, you don't really know what it symbolises or... Yeah, because like sometimes you'll see it in college and you'll see it in frat houses at least because I went to UT so it's still, it's a big mixture. It Like it's an amalgam of a hipster culture and a conservative white culture. Um, and so you see these two kind of join when you have a fraternity of sorority because they're people that want to be hipster, but they're also part of this like long line of tradition and brotherhood and, and stuff. So, so you find a lot of Confederate flags and a lot of really backwards views in a frat house. And you would also find Confederate flags more often than not. The whole frat house phenomenon, I, I was just yeah. blown away yeah. by it. I really was. And you, you mentioned there that you were in UT and again, University mm. of Toronto for, for not Toronto, University <laughs> yeah. of Texas for people who mightn't have picked up on that. Yeah. And at Austin, because there's a few University of Texas. Okay, so yeah. at, at Austin. Yeah. Um, when I was there walking around the, mm. the campus and seeing the, the frat houses and to me, anybody who's watched any amount of television or 90210 or, yeah. or any of that crack it, that's it yeah it's just like, like you, that you could just take out your your, yeah. your camera and start recording oh, yeah. and all of a sudden you've got that quintessential mm-hmm. campus you know frat house sorority girl yeah. that's all none of that's make believe that's no, all just it's all real and the outrageous parties where people are jumping off the roof people snorting cocaine off each other's stomachs like scantily clad girls really douchey guys, rappers that come out of nowhere and have these huge concerts in the back of some frat house. That is all real. And all perfectly normal. Yeah, and things that I've seen with my own eyes, like all of that is personal account. Yes, yes. From You're my... not referring to the movies like, no, we, like I would say. I'm yeah. referring to college memories from the frat house that was next door to my apartment building. Hilarious. Yeah. The the frat house, what, what are they? What's the difference? A frat house is for boys yeah. and of. A, f- no. a sorority house is a sorority. for girls. So, so fr- frat being short for fraternity. Yes. And then the sorority girls yeah. are the female equivalent. Yeah, so sorority houses are really prim and proper. No men really are allowed to come inside after a certain hour. No guests, unless they're... No, actually, no guests ever to sleep over. Um, and no parties ever happen there. So they you know, have the big chandeliers and you walk in. Everything always smells like roses. It's very clean. Um, and they do a lot of philanthropic work. Um, so they'll have like a pancake breakfast where they make pancakes for everybody and all the money goes to some local charity. That's yes. kind of what a sorority does. Sororities also, um, you know, you chug the bottle of vodka that you have in your room, try not, not to, you try not to let the person, whoever's in charge, see you chugging all the vodka because you're not supposed to have alcohol in the house. And then you stumble with you and your friends to the fraternity house where all the guys have unlimited supplies of alcohol in the house and you have a big rager. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And these houses are mm-hmm. on campus or off campus or both? Off campus. But they're really close to campus, so they might as well be on campus. Well, at least the ones in UT. Now, there might be some that are on campus in other places. Um, okay. And it, it kind of depends on the school culture as well, because some places won't have as many 
uh, won't have as much of a Greek culture as UT would. So in the South, Greek culture is really big because it's a lot of legacies um, and people will be accepted into certain sororities or fraternities because they are a legacy. So like, you know, their mom was in it, was part of whatever, like Pi-Fi chapter back in the day. And so I'm a Pi-Fi legacy, so I'll be accepted. At least that's how I think it works. All my friends were in fraternities and sororities. I never got it. I don't want to pay for my friends. <laughs> so I yeah, do yeah, it. of course. Yeah. yeah. There's something very, um, what's the opposite of inclusive? Exclusive. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> There's something very exclusive and not in a good way there. The, yeah. That kind of, that idea of lineage. Yeah. You know, w- mm. presumably wouldn't have been geared towards being accepting of you, say. Yeah, I think it's a... And obviously people people like yeah, it. Yeah, it's, it's a culture that breeds bigotry. I yes. Think. Um, Elitism. But, yeah, but even though I'm foreign, I guess, I would still be accepted into a fraternity at a, at a party because I'm a woman. And so, like, any girl that wants to show up to a party will get let in. Like, people will be like, oh, you're not in sorority, but, like, fuck it, we need more girls in the house anyways. So I'd get let in. But if I was with, like, say you wanted to come with me, they'd be like, nah, you either pay $50 or, like, you or you still can't come in. I could pay in, could I? Sometimes, depending on the event. So there's a big campus event that's called Roundup that um, the Greek society kind of puts on and individual houses like fraternity houses will host really big acts so like one year one house had the yin yang twins performing in their backyard and you um have to have like a wristband to the event in the first place that you get for free from the campus but some houses will make you pay for certain wristbands but if you're a girl you more than likely can get in for free if they're not at maximum capacity or you need to know someone on the inside, but a lot of guys would have to pay like fifty dollars to get in or something like that. And that's just to to pay the act. Yeah, because they're not part of the fraternity. Okay, so there these these frat houses are venues as well as yeah, mm-hmm. as well as what? Like what are they? Um, well, people live in them. But what's the what's the term for like? A, is it a, a just a house? Just a, okay, it's just a, a house. big big house um, with tons of rooms in it. So and how many people will be living in the house? Because they are huge. I've seen them. They're yeah, massive. so not everyone will live in the house. Um, but I actually don't know how many people can fit in one. It depends on the size of the house and how rich that fraternity is. Of course, yeah. Because you have to pay dues as well. Um, and what are dues? Like a monthly fee. So you pay to be in it. You pay like a, It's like paying another rent. So say that I wanted to be in like this very exclusive sorority. Maybe I have to pay $200 a month to stay in it because they're my membership fees. On top of whatever the rent is? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, if, I don't know. I think it might be different if I was living in the house. It might be reduced dues or fees or whatever they're called. Okay. Uh, getting back to something that you actually mentioned earlier mm. almost in passing as a joke I can't remember the context you, you said it in but you mentioned you know getting drunk and getting a roofie dropped in your drink yeah there's a real dark element to the whole frat house yeah f- fucking thing well it's it's really it, like you don't think that it happens but then it happens to you like it happened to me um, what did getting like put having something put in my drink Fuck. so they had a big so there's a thing um about fraternities like a saying that goes never drink the punch because you don't know what they put in the punch it's called trash can punch right and i went to my first roundup or no it was my second roundup and um after that i don't think i went because that experience spooked me but i went over to i think what was the jewish fraternity for some reason and i went with all my friends because they were letting in everybody because they need more people so we walked all the way across campus walked in this house i think i had one cup of punch but it was full of xanax 
someone had just put tons and tons of Xanax into the, um, like one of those little Gatorade things where you just like, I don't know, it's like a big jug and you put your cup under it and you press the button and all the liquid comes out. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know what that is, a dispenser of some kind, but it was full of Xanax and I had one cup and I, I couldn't stand upright. Luckily I was with friends, so they helped me get out of the house, but like I was tripping and falling over myself and I had to be taken home. But, you know, imagine if I had been there alone and like some guy had handed me that drink. That's and that's that's essentially that the name of the game. Yeah, that it's, happens a lot. And like I've, I've, even the, the fact that there's a term for this just is so fucking repulsive, but mm. like, th- there's a... It's fair to say there's like a, a date rape scene. Yeah, yeah there is in definitely. these places. Like, yeah. what the fuck is that all about? Yeah, and, and and I've had I probably had maybe three spike drinks in my life, and they were all from college and like big parties. It's it's mad that this idea of spiking drinks. I mean, I, I'm sure it does happen in Ireland, but mm. and again, maybe it's just because I'm more in the drug loop than than others. But the idea, especially when I was a lot younger and into partying a lot more, mm. the idea that somebody would spike my drink. That's that would have been to me at the time free drugs. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Do you know that kind of way? Like the yeah, idea you don't of think like, someone's going to drag you outside and you know assault you. Like, yeah, uh, that's kind of that's a fear that you have. That's a fear that I had constantly. But that's a genuine. You need to have that. That's not it's paranoia. It's a genuine like. fear. Yeah, it's not me being paranoid because I've so many of my friends had awful experiences in college, and we'd be all going out together, and then somehow you turn around, and, you know, like, oh shit, where's, where's Danielle gone? Or whatever. Yeah. And then you get a phone call later, you know, they're sobbing on the other end of the phone and you have to go find them. Yeah, it's it's a it's a real culture and it's awful. It's awful that you leave your house thinking that you're going to have a fun time with your friends and everything goes horribly wrong. Even if, you know, it happens to you or to your friend, like it, it happens more often than it ever should. But some a phenomenon like that, to me... You can see how it would have happened, how it would have kind of gotten to that stage. Mm. But again, in my innocence, I can see how it would have gotten bad that this date rape culture was happening. Mm. But I thought that there would have been almost like a self-correcting mechanism in humanity whereby the women would stop going to these fucking parties. You think? Now, I I don't mean to blame the women, obviously, (laughs) Jesus fucking Christ. (laughs) But you'd think that if... Jesus Christ, the, the thoughts that somebody would voluntarily go to somewhere where that had any chance of yeah. happening. Yeah. Um, least of all, it be a relatively common occurrence. Yeah. So can can you offer any kind of explanation so of that the, to me? Or? The one time that it happened to me with the Xanax punch, the, the, the trash can punch at that one Jewish fraternity, I don't think that they are open anymore. Um because if, if you're notorious on campus for doing that, you'll get shut down or you won't have parties anymore or no one will come to the party. So I actually don't know if they make that punch anymore at all because they, they probably had some type of complaint or lawsuit come out against them. Um, and other places it's as simple as like I had a drink at a bar and someone put something in it. I think I like I had someone might have bought me a drink and it was spiked. Um, so like sometimes it's you know, you have to be careful who you go out with. Like if you're going out with someone that you don't really know that well and they hand you a spike drink, you know, there might be some nefarious purpose for you being out there with them. So sometimes it's not the party itself, but the person that you're with. But Jesus Christ, I mean, that's barely removed from whacking you over the head and dragging you behind a f- yeah. whatever. Like. Mm. And is that is that a, again, a, 
I, I don't think we have that here, at mm. least not to the same degree. I haven't I haven't heard that we have. I'm, yeah. Look, I'm, I'm sure it does happen in, yeah. in, 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 in kind of more isolated incidents. But And is it my ignorant Irish mentality that it might happen more in the States than it does? Well, would you believe it or not, the person that bought me the drink uh, that was spiked was Irish, actually. They were someone that was studying abroad. Hilarious. Mm. Yeah. Like, I mean, in, in Ireland, I don't know if we even... Like, put it this way, I've taken my fair share of drugs in my day, mm. and I've obviously therefore bought my fair share of drugs. Right. But it was never, like, the, the conversation of, you know, you hardly want a bit of this stuff as well, do you? Yeah. Why? What does that do? Well, you can give it to a girl and, you know, yeah. rape her. Yeah. <laughs> do you know what I kind of These that? are the things that we have for assaulting people. Yeah, like, like the what, menu. The, what the fuck? Like, I mean, yeah, I've, I I've been offered different drugs. I've been right. offered, you know, you're, you're getting this. You, you might want a bit of this. You want a bit of that? You want a bit of the other? And, yeah. You know, no or yes. And But there was everything that I was being offered was for me. Right. Do you know the kind of way? It wasn't it was, for the uh, use on somebody else. Yes. Or if, if it wasn't for me, it was for me to share with my friends. As yeah. in, I'd buy it and I'd say, Julie, fancy a bit of this? Yeah. No? Okay. Yes. Yeah. Brilliant. You know, whatever. Right. But there was never, ever any element of, you know, nefariously spiking someone's drink yeah. or... You know, again, it's 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 synonymous with smacking them over the head or, yeah. in, you know, sneaking up from behind them and injecting oh, them with awful. something. Like, I know. What the fuck, like? I think it's um it's this weird culture that's now kind of spread amongst the college party scene. And Austin itself is a really, really big party city. And so it already has this kind of seedy place called Dirty Sixth where you go. Yes, we, you know, yeah, we went down yeah, exactly. there. Yeah. And it's closed off so that everyone can run in and out of bars. And it's already, you know, like a its own environment that perpetuates that kind of behavior and then you add seedy characters into the mix and you add frat boys that don't really know right from wrong into that as well and you get campus rape culture jesus christ scary stuff yeah so moving swiftly away from <laughs> campus rape culture yeah. i'm back to the confederacy <laughs> God. i told you these conversations get tangential didn't yeah. I? they yeah. really do they really do where do we finish up on the Confederacy? On the, the Confederacy. Civil War. We were going to, for the Civil War. So yeah. the southern states, say, so... Um, they were basically like, fuck you, we want to keep our slaves because we need them to pick our cotton. Okay, but sorry, you, there was a, they wanted to leave the Union. Mm. and let, No, sorry, they left the Union, did Yeah, they? they left the Union. They didn't ask, they were just like, yeah, we're course, out. Yeah, fuck yeah. This. <laughs> and then, uh, what, the... What's the opposite of the Confederacy? The, the United the States, uh, the Union. Okay, yep. the Union. The Union said screw you guys if you won't join us we'll invade you and take you over or no it was more like you can't be doing that and the confederacy was fighting against the union and it was this very kind of but how did they fight against them if you know, it, it takes two to fight if that I makes think sense. it was the union saying no you can't leave and the confederacy saying yes we can and then they ended up fighting Okay, so okay. I know that there's details to this. Pat's probably rolling his eyes whenever he listens to this because he watched a documentary about the Civil War. I fell asleep because <laughs> this has been beaten to me since I was a young child. So Yeah, Pat, just for the, the benefit of the listeners, yeah. being uh, your partner and yep. my little brother. So that's yes. that's how we actually yeah, know each how, other. Yeah, I'm here. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the Southern States wanted to leave the Union didn't want them to leave. They started fighting. Mm. And where did slavery come in to this? Or, or 
slavery was way before this, um, but I think that they, because other places in the world were stopping the slave trade. Okay. And America was very reluctant to join that mentality. It's funny because I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have thought that, and I, and I say that from a complete uh, mm. point of, of of ignorance. But my my what I've kind of been taught, not been taught directly, but my feeling would have been this, you know, was it Lincoln freed the slaves? And then, you know, so mm. America got rid of slavery and then showed the rest of the world the error in their ways. Yeah, backwards. Yeah, yeah, it <laughs> yeah. happened, it happened. We um, were pretty much the last ones, And I where think. did it start? Have you any idea? Um, That's an interesting one. I think it would have started Central America? Right, right. Well, I don't know, but like the practice of slavery is ancient. Of course. Yeah, but the, the way that slavery happened as we recall it in modern times I'm not entirely sure I know that there was slaves being pulled over to Brazil and Central America and um, and the, the the east coast of North America but I don't remember exactly how it started and this is shameful seeing as I was just in the Civil Rights Museum in Memphis <laughs> about a month ago looking at looking at how the slaves actually started being exported yeah yeah God, that's embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> but look, um, so there was the ev- the rest of the world, or most of the world, or at least some of the world, had basically abolished slavery. The mm. Americans were slow to pick up. The Confederates wanted to keep their slaves because essentially it was driving their economies. Am I right yeah. in saying that? Yeah, yeah. They For didn't, free labor, basically. Yeah, they needed the manpower to supply everyone else with the cotton that was coming out of the South. Okay. Mm. Um, so they lost, essentially. Yeah lost the civil war and then what were kind of ran out of town or no they just came back in the union um and then we freed the slaves and so everything was all right for a bit until jim crow laws were introduced yeah now what can you outline what the jim crow law was um jim crow laws were there jim we go. crow were basically like a set of laws that were going around the amendment that freed slaves to reduce their rights as people. Um, and like, so it wasn't so much as enslaving them again, but pretty much inhibiting any way that they could be a normal American. So prohibiting them from owning land or, yeah, a, or accumulating voting. power. They or... were considered like three fourths of a person. Okay. Yeah. Stuff like that. Segregation, separate yeah. bathrooms, yeah. all that kind of crap. Black only, white only. Okay. Like that for a while. And was the Confederate flag used at this point as a we're holding on to our slaves emblem? Um, is that is that where the... I'm not sure. Yeah. It, like, obviously it's persisted since the Civil War as like a an emblem of something, um, whether it be white conservatism or, f- you know, fuck anyone that's darker than I am. Um, yes. I'm not entirely sure how, how it continued to pop up throughout history. Yeah, yeah. I think but, I kind of avoided knowing that. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, of course, but it's mm-hmm. not something that, you know, would... It's it's not it's not subject matter that is particularly appealing to find out the, the nitty-gritty of, of kind of what went on and yeah. how it went on and why. And well, I also don't think that in a Southern school they really want to um, make a huge thing of how our side of the country was on the wrong side of history. Yes. And on that, is there... Because was there a bit of controversy over the last year or so? I think kind of Trump has not not done anything particularly, but just the fact that he's the character that he is, it's kind of... 
it's amplified all all these other little things. So was there was yeah. there something in the states? Was it last year, the year before, about statues being taken down mm-hmm. or Confederate moved? Statues. Or, is that what that was? Yeah. Okay. So a lot of Confederate statues, like um, leaders of the Confederate Army, that would have like won a lot of wars or like really fought for the Confederate cause. They would have been statues that were taken down. So heroes on the losing side. Say. Yeah, okay. heroes on the side that wanted to keep slaves. Yes. So obviously people were like, oh, I really don't want to stare at the statue anymore. And why did that? That seemed to kick off. Was it last year or maybe the year before? Um. Well, it kind of started while I was in college still, and that was I graduated at the end or the beginning of 2016 in May. Um. So it was kind of something that was brewing for a bit. People just, I think it was the beginning of really being politically correct and really being inclusive and now it's kind of gone off the deep end with people being overly politically correct all the time and like overly sensitive to everything yes the far left so yeah the far crazy left left, yeah (laughs) (laughs) that's what's happening now and is texas like my understanding of texas will be that it will be very conservative parts of it yeah and only parts of it, or...? Yeah, so I, I was surprised to see that the DFW area was all Hillary. Like, uh, when... Uh, the sorry, sed- DFW... So, Dallas-Fort Worth. Okay, sorry. Yeah, so that's the the Dallas-Fort Worth airport, and, you know, the, those two metroplexes are really close together. And that whole... At least the Dallas area, I'm not sure if it was the Fort Worth area, because that's more out in the sticks where the farmland and the cattle industry is. Um, the Dallas area came up as... Was it Blue? I don't know the colors. Whatever color Hillary was. Blue, is, I think, yeah. Yeah, is what showed up on when the um, the statistics were coming in on the night that the vote was being counted. Yeah, because you have like blue states and red states, which mm-hmm. are just, uh, just from a psychological perspective, it's just fascinating to Yeah, me, like. and then swing states, so you never know if they're going to be blue or red. Is that what a swing state is? Yeah. I actually never knew that. Hilarious. I thought a swing state was... A, I thought any state could be a swing state. Not really. Because, well, where I was coming from yeah. was... You had, you know, 20 states voting this way, 20 states voting that way. There was only one state left to vote, and depending on which way it voted, it made it the swing state. Yeah, yeah, that's that's basically it. Okay, so, so there's oh, a few okay. states that are like that, that you, that you don't really, it's not a sure thing which way they're going to vote. And so they tend to be the ones to turn the tide. Yes. Mm. And would Texas be a swing state? No. <laughs> <laughs> not at all. They are set in their ways. <laughs> uh, so what are the swing states? Oh, God. I don't know. I think Idaho is one of them, randomly enough. Right. Or is it Iowa? <laughs> you sound like me. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. what Like, that part of the states I've never gone to because there's nothing out there but The flyover corn. states. Yeah. There's just corn and, like, big fields. And a lot of be- beautiful national parks. Like, it's a shame that I haven't been out there more. But they're so far away. And there's really not that much there. So... <laughs> Uh, hunting is big. Speaking of kind of the, the national parks and yeah. the public land and, and all that jazz. Mm. Did you ever get into it or did people you hang around with ever? Or? Yeah, so I have some very classically southern friends. So I don't have your, like what people would think of as the, the cliche southern accent. I don't have a draw. When I am home around these specific people, I do pick up kind of a twang. And can you put it on there now just for the benefit of me and the listeners to know exactly? Uh, yeah, so a Texan twang would kind of sound like, I don't know. Yosemite Sam yeah. type. Going out to Whataburger, going to get myself a cheeseburger and some fries and then go home <laughs> and drink my sweet tea. That's, <laughs> that's what a Texan accent would sound Y'all. like. Yeah, putting on my cowboy boots, grab the shotgun, put Lucy in the car, drive off with the hound and we're going to shoot some pigs. <laughs> <laughs> 
Brilliant. So I have friends that are like that, that were raised that way, that, you know, the first big coat that they ever owned was camo. And the first what, sorry? Like a big jacket they ever owned was a camouflage coat. Of course it was. Yeah, of course like, it was. The first rain boots were camouflage ones, like the, with that all kind of print, and you walk into their house, and it's kind of like a museum of animal trophies, all the antlers over the fireplace, and you've got even, um, like rugs that are made out of cowhide and stuff like that. Yeah, so I would have grown up with really, really southern people who have ranches out in the middle of nowhere, which is actually kind of fun. One of my best friends has a ranch that's out in West Texas, kind of outside the Fort Worth area. And we'd go out there, all of us as a big group, um, to be out in the middle of nowhere for about three days. All we do is ride around on four wheelers. The guys take out their guns. We barbecue and we like go fuck with the cows, go fishing and <laughs> like play drinking games for about three days class yeah so like i do have friends that are like that that do go hunting a lot um and some people that hunt like big game um so they would have i know one of my friends knows a guy who has a ranch out somewhere in west texas i believe that has uh exotic animals out there so in, in purposely introduced yeah like, for the sake lions of killing. Ch- or yeah i think one of them was a gemsbach so it's like a kind of looks like an antelope yes. in Africa. So they have Gimsbach out there. I think they had a zebra out there to kill too. Like, because they have money to blow and the land to do blow this kind of stuff on. Yeah, they have the money to blow things up. Yeah. And they would have, you know, like I have a friend named Jake who will hunt with a crossbow. Yes, yeah. yes. And he has big guns. And like the thought of anyone taking away his right to own a gun is absolutely beyond him. Because <laughs> that's just how he's grown up. But he would also be the kind of person that would go shoot deer and that deer would be taken to like a, a a center that takes in deer meat from hunters and gives them to families in need so okay, they, yeah, they would yeah. be supplying families food or they would take it home and make deer jerky or like put the meat in the freezer to last through the winter so some people actually do hunt for food other people shoot for fun that will like make big trips out to Texas, uh, not to Texas, to Africa to go shoot lions and stuff. I know, I know a few people that do that as well. Yeah, yeah, of course. Mm. That's a that's a, a kind of a hairy one because, and I, I've only been introduced to this via uh, Joe Rogan, I suppose. But there was a bit of controversy there a couple of years ago where some guy, I think he was willing to pay two hundred and fifty grand to go over to somewhere in Africa and shoot some endangered rhino, mm. and. Uh, word got out about this basically and everyone just lost their shit and you know wanting to know the details and the specifics no shooting an endangered species all bets are off this can't fucking happen yeah and basically it didn't go ahead Um, your man didn't get to spend his 250 grand he didn't get to Mm. shoot the rhino but the reason the rhino was up for sale to be shot basically was because he was an older bull that was fucking with the few remaining breeding rhinos that were there and they had to shoot him anyway. Oh, controversial. So that area didn't get 250 grand to go towards conservation. Right. Thanks to all the fucking left-leaning hippies yeah. saying you can't go around shooting rhinos. Yeah. It's, so there's so much nuance involved in, in hunting, I think. Well, it, it's it's like the, um, like a little bit of knowledge is way more dangerous than being well-informed yes. on something. Yes, absolutely. 100%. So that that's... Ooh. God, yeah, that's where the alt left is nowadays. Just demonizing everybody for saying the slightest thing without really knowing the background or the full story. Yeah, yeah, no. And absolutely. then it makes national headlines, and some poor fucker out in anywhere in America loses their job and their career because a bunch of nineteen, twenty-year-olds 
are trying to be social justice warriors. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. Now, I, I hear about all of this from Ireland, say. Yeah. But did you, was that, you know, were you surrounded in that? Did you see that firsthand or that that type of person? I only know of them. Yeah. Do you know them? I do know them. Okay. Yeah. I have friends that are social justice warriors and I have friends that are conservative bigots. I'm yes. on I'm right in the middle of it. <laughs> so I see both sides a lot and it's uncomfortable when the two of them are in the same room and there's alcohol involved because one of them will always leave really angry. Hilarious. Mm. And you that has uh, an education in psychology, what's your what's your take on it because you you're in a, a kind of a, a good position you've you're on both sides yeah as you've said you've kind of got friends on, on both sides and you have a, an insight at least into the underlying psychology or do you do you feel that you, you have or um well it's not that you know I'm sitting here always analyzing someone I think a, a psychology degree just allows you to be more aware of different points of view and different personalities different cultures that are surrounding you so you kind of approach it more you kind of approach situations more with a a bit more empathy and a bit more perspective and you at least for myself I don't like if someone says something super controversial I can make myself be the devil's advocate and see it from their like their point of view and my point of view and I it's really helped me not to immediately become angry when someone said something like it, it's kind of calmed me down with the world around me um, which I think is something that everyone could use yes very much so because if we like the thing at home right now, the, the biggest thing that I've realized is that everyone is on polar, like has polarizing opinions. And so you can't be in a room with someone that supports Trump because how do you talk to them? So you just don't talk to them yes. and you're alienating them and you're not trying to learn from one another or see where they're coming from or even try to persuade them to see something from your perspective because you're too busy yelling at them for being a bigot <laughs> and they're calling you a hippie bastard. Go take a shower, you know, like it's it, people just need to be able to sit down and talk more rather than go for each other's throats immediately upon hearing that they don't have the same checklist of ideals and morals that the other person has yeah and it's it's is it a is it just an american thing because we i don't really we don't have like we mm. don't have left or right counties in ireland yeah. Or even towns in Ireland. Oh, I, I, don't I, think. Wouldn't, I wouldn't know. Um, but we, we don't talk in those terms here at all. Yeah. This idea of, of being, you know, Republican or Democrat or left or right or conservative yeah. or progressive, they're all essentially American terms. I think that it's just the nature of the people who founded America. So they would have left because we're Puritans and we believe this and other people don't. So we're going to go make our own place where Puritans will just be everywhere because fuck the people that don't believe what we believe. So it kind of started with that idea. And then it was like, oh, white people versus Native Americans. So like it was always us against something or like me against you. The other. Yeah, the other. We actually spoke about it last night with Mm. Anthony Murphy. Yeah, yeah. So I think that that's just the culture that's always kind of been there in America. And now it's kind of gone to the extreme because social media and the clown of a president that we have that's really angering people, rightfully, but... Now it's, I think one of the biggest things with Trump is that he's allowed people to be, to feel more comfortable saying all the things that other people damn. So people that are viscerally racist now feel comfortable enough to go down the street and have like a KKK rally because, yes. you know, freedom of speech, these are my rights. 
uh, whereas before they would have been more secretive about it. So now people are just way more open about their opinions and they have the platforms to do it on and be heard. And from a progression point of view as opposed to a progressive point of view, is will we look back on it as a good thing? Like in, um, in, in, in 50 years' time, mm-hmm. when the dust has settled from Trump and you know right. you have a, a sane guy kind of a Barack Obama-esque type character you know a, a, a statesman say yeah. because I think Trump wouldn't be nearly as, as jarring to people if he had the same views that he has but was just a little bit more of a statesman do you know what I mean or maybe he'd be worse I don't know maybe the fact that he is the way he is softens it it wouldn't be as he wouldn't be as dangerous a character if he was a bit more serious do you know that kind of way? Like if, if he had the same views that he had, but he said it with a poker face and didn't tweet and didn't, you know, say stupid things mm. and was very kind of analytical and science-based. Like a bit more Hillary. Yes, yeah, I think so, yeah. yeah. Because I don't think, like, people draw comparisons to him and Hitler. Like, like I've not, I haven't heard Hitler's name mentioned more <laughs> yeah. in the last two years, I think, than I ever did. Everybody's yeah. Hitler. Yeah. I'm Hitler. You're yeah. Hitler, whatever, you know. It's, it's just so strange. But that, that idea, that, you know, them and us like you really have that right down the middle of America because it is mm. there thereabouts 25 blue states and 25 red states is it it must it kind of must be it in order well for, could be. But it, if it was a landslide one then mm. you'd always have one in power or has there been one predominantly in power do you know or are you that even politically um, do, you, do you give a shit one word so I know other? you know during um, Bush's W. Bush that's a southern thing right there. Instead of saying W, you say W. W. Yeah, so W. Bush, <laughs> when he was um, there for eight years. So this is all... junior now, is it? The most recent Bush? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, like he would have been Republican for eight years, and that would have been like that, that would have been the, the primary, the, Jesus, what am I trying to say? The primary party in government would have been Republican at that time, and then okay. it switched. And, Democrats got the limelight and Obama was there and now it's gone back and it's also gone back, you know, 100 years in progressiveness yeah. at the same time. Yeah, <laughs> just a, a big, big backward step. And is there... Who, like... What am I trying to say? Who, who likes Trump? Because he does have a support. He's not without his support. Yeah, and you'd be surprised by the amount of people that support him that are... Rational of, people. Rational people, people. People of... That are multicultural... Um, a lot of women, like, just, it, it blows my mind. I don't get it. I think at the beginning, people didn't really take him seriously. And now a lot of people who see the seriousness of the situation have kind of backed away. But other people have really started adamantly supporting him because he says what's on his mind and he's black and white. But I don't think he's really black and white. He's kind of like yellow. <laughs> you know or orange he, yeah he's somewhere else and he has his own universe he's not where the rest of us are yeah yeah that is kind of scary I heard someone mention recently that he, they were speaking of his kind of egotistical nature and the idea that if he did kick off like a, a nuclear Armageddon mm. and he was the last man alive in some bunker and he literally killed everybody else yeah you know I made it. Yeah, so kind of exactly. Way, yeah, that, that'd be kind of all right. Like you that's know? him. Yeah, that's definitely him. And I think that's he's perpetuating that culture among people that already think that way, and he's bringing them out of their burrows, and now they're out and about in America and but on it, the news. It, and this is what I kind of labor to make the point. I kind of try to 
the point I laboured to make there a minute ago, mm. is the fact that these groups can kind of come out and be themselves. Mm. Is them exposing themselves to the world a good thing? As know. opposed to yeah. kind of having them underground and having this fester. Because right. I, was, I was chatting about this to a friend of mine via text message and um, he signed off one of his texts by saying, oh, and the Nazis are back. <laughs> and, and he was right because it wasn't that long after that white supremacist rally, wherever it was, was it in Charlottesville or something, was that, that was something yeah. else, whatever it was. Um, a full on KKK rally mm. uh, with the tiki torch things and, and all that jazz. Yeah. Um, it was slightly after, or shortly after that, so we said, oh, and the, the Nazis are back. But what what that made me think was, they're not back. Yeah. They didn't go anywhere. Like, Trump hasn't made all these people yeah. racist all of a sudden. Mm-mm. That was kind of, he capitalised on maybe an undercurrent of racism. And until that racism is unearthed and a, a light is shone on it, how are you ever supposed to address it? Right. It's, it's like that old adage, you, you can't, the first, was it the first step to solving a problem is being aware that you have one yeah so if there was this undercurrent of racism across america say mm. that was going unnoticed maybe it was just festering and getting worse and worse and maybe it's a good thing that it happened now with trump and not in 50 years yeah. with the more hitler-esque version of trump yeah yeah you know i hadn't thought of that that's a really good point of view but just the whole thing mm. is just fascinating to me. Yeah. I'm just glad it's happening in the States and not here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy I'm here and not there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, Someone else's problem. Yeah, exactly. I'll just keep traveling until his four years are up. Hopefully there's not another four years. <laughs> we'll Speak, go home. Speaking of traveling, you left, you were in uh, Brisbane, went to Sydney, yeah. back to the Emerald Isle. And you're here for the year? Or do you yeah. know? Or what way are you... Yeah, so the plan is I have a working holiday visa for this coming year, but because the Irish system is so backwards with everything, I should I won't. I won't have tell of it. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what you're talking about. A backward Irish system, I do what not What is it. this? It's news to me. Um, <laughs> so I got the visa, right? Grant, I paid $300 for it. I thought that was the end of it, just like any other visa. Once you have the visa, you know, you get all the rights to come with it. Um, I show up here. I actually have to pay in it. 300 euro to register myself with the guards and get an Irish residency permit and only once I have that can I work so really it comes out to like 600 something my visa does which is some bullshit because I don't have all the money saved for that and is that is there a sneaky element to that I mean how much, oh, how much is the visa in Ireland it's 300 quid how much is the, the visa somewhere else it's yeah. 350 quid oh well I'll go to Ireland I paid 350 to go to Australia and that was it. Like I showed and that's up. What it cost I you. filed for a tax file number, which was free, and that was the one thing that I needed. Came within a week, and I was good to go. Um, got here, started applying to jobs. I got an interview with the recruitment agency. They said, "Oh, where is all these documents that you need? What? <laughs> you need to go and do that. <laughs> By the way, it's going to take you about a month to get them. And oh, cost you great, yeah. Euros. So I've already been here almost a month, and it's going to take me about another month before I can work. So that's two months just kind of gone down the drain. That there's like a repeat of Australia." Anyone from America trying to come here learn from my mistakes? Yeah, yeah, Don't absolutely. Do the same thing. Yeah, I wish they would have just been more straightforward about it, and it would have said like, "Follow these steps so you can have a good time and not hate us." But like, come on. And what what did you use as a resource? Like, were you on you know, um, IrishGovernment.ie? Yeah, yeah. Mm, and that's it's not the, listed that's, there. That's the mistake you made. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But see, the good thing is that. I know people here and I'm in someone's home that can take care of me if shit hits the fan. But if I had just shown up to Ireland by myself, I would probably have to go home at this point. Yeah. 
Because I, I wouldn't be able to sustain myself for that month with no income, eating through my savings, paying rent, paying food. Like, you know, yeah, it's I mean, a good thing that it happened with the situation that I'm in. Of course, yeah, no, absolutely. Mm. And, like, you can see... It's it's just so sneaky. I mean, when you when you come here, you, it, it's three hundred euro to get the mm-hmm. to get the visa to come and work here. Oh, you, you, you've got you've got that. Oh, but you 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 want to have a job and get paid. Oh, okay, so that's an extra three hundred yeah. euro. Like, oh, and you have to have medical insurance. Oh, well, that's going to be about two hundred fifty dollars. Yeah. You, oh, you want to drive? Oh, okay. Didn't we we didn't realize you wanted to drive? Yeah. There's you know this tax or or whatever. Yeah. Or take out a international driving permit. That's going to cost you twenty dollars from home. But don't do it once you're overseas, or else you it's going to be way more difficult and take you a long time to get it. Like, just be just list. Give me a checklist of all the things that you need me to do. I'll have them done before I show up. I'm a responsible adult, obviously. If I'm getting up and moving across the world, like, of course. Just make it a bit easier. All you need to do is put on there and say, as soon as you land in Ireland, and if you're on a working holiday visa, go to the nearest guards office, do all this registration, pay the 300 euro, so that way you can get working as fast as possible. Yeah, everybody wins. Yeah, because they say that do it within 90 days. So I thought, oh, I'll just do it as soon as I get a job. I didn't know that like you had 90 days to do it, and then you can't do it and you have to leave, but you also should do it as soon as you land, because no one was that explicit with me until I already had the interview and a job sitting in front of me where they couldn't hire me yet. <laughs> which is really annoying <laughs> it's like oh yeah it only took me two weeks to find work awesome and that nope. job like presumably that particular job won't be mm-hmm. there with the either the agency or yeah. the company the agency is pretty much like once you have your um your permit send us a copy of it we'll double check that it's legit and then you can start work whenever we have a, a temp job available for you and they're kind of confident that the yeah. one of them is coming like yeah yeah they because they do this all the time with working holiday travelers so yeah, it's just a matter no. of time, really. Happy days. And you're here mm. for, what, the year? Yep. So I don't know if I'll be going home for Christmas at all, but that's the plan. I only plan one year at a time because anything more than that really stresses me out. <laughs> <laughs> but I need, I probably need to be doing that now because the goal is for fall of 2019 to be in school again. And I need to decide where that is, what so, I'll be So studying. fall of next year to yes. be back in college. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And you've between now and when to kind of decide that? Um, well, I need to retake my GRE, which is the entrance exam for any um, graduate level education in America. You have to take your GRE. I don't know what it stands for, like graduate readiness exam, something like that. Okay. A graduate requisite exam. I don't know. And that's just to prove that you have the proficiency to actually complete yeah, exactly. that type of course. So that's the general exam. Um, I'm sorry, will you have to study for that? Yeah, because yeah, okay. I, I took it once when I was in, uh, in Australia, but my math skills are poor. So I need to redo it so that I can get a better math score. Okay. Yeah. So that's what I'm struggling with right now. Um, so I need to retake that at the latest in November, set out my applications before Christmas. And then, yeah, and then you get acceptance letters around the springtime of 2019 and then you're off. And where are you thinking of studying? Will it definitely be back <laughs> in the States? Or? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely no idea. Because I'm, I'm no longer making the decision for myself. Like if, if I was just going by myself, it'd be a lot easier. But it will be two of us going wherever we go. So we of need course, to find programs yes. in, in common and stuff. Yeah, no, of course. No, mm-hmm. that's, that's understandable. Yeah. And are you leaning towards psychology or epigenetics? or Is it like a, is there a genetics course or an epigenetics Probably, course? Probably, yeah. But I just need to think of how applicable or like what's the utility of that degree once I have it? Like what kind of job is that going to lead me into? Because I want a I wanna degree that's going to have kind of a straightforward 
thing to do because I, I don't want writing to be my full-time job it's definitely a big hobby but at the same time it should be my full-time job because I can't write while I'm working because it sucks all my creativity away and I've already tried that and I've been able to write more since I've been here and been unemployed than I have ever before because I have all my needs basically met you know I have food roof over my head company um, in a beautiful place so I can I like it that's inspiration itself but once I start working all my priorities go towards work and like making sure I'm saving my money so I don't know how that's going to feed into whatever secondary education I'm gonna get and here's one for you now mm -hmm. I, I would be very much a proponent of doing what you like yeah and then kind of figuring mm -hmm. out what you want to do once once you've kind of done what you like yeah that's, that's obviously a very double-edged sword mm. there's plenty of um people with all sorts of arts degrees that are you know yeah working in mcdonald's or you know whatever oh, so like. crushing but um how do you feel about that i mean uh, the idea of just going balls out and doing something for the love of it more than anything else is that too scary or? it is scary yeah but that's kind of what I've done with psychology because that's what I loved and now I'm I'm here and all I can do is admin work and all the work that I want to do I'm not qualified to do yet so that's what's kind of pushing me towards getting a more specific degree but in getting a specific degree I limit myself to a lot more options so you know and when you say you're not qualified to do the kind of work that you want to do hmm. what's the kind of work that you want to do like, I, I want to use my degree to actually do something degree-related, but they require um, master-level psychology degrees, which okay. I don't have. So that, like, when I'm applying to jobs and I see all these psych-related jobs, like working in social work or something like that, I'm like, oh, wow, that would be great because I'd be so interested in that. Or, you know, like addiction research, and I just don't have the qualifications for it yet. Okay. I have the qualifications to be the admin bitch to the admin bitch to the researcher. Who's <laughs> <So. laughs> looked out upon by the yeah, professor and exactly. everyone else. Yeah, like, yeah so I'll be at the bottom of the food chain. And is there is there money in writing? Like in, in any sense, like can you hmm. can you get a job I don't know, editing in a newspaper or maybe not that, but like I, I don't know, is there, is there I could, that yeah. like, is copy house? What's copy house? What's copying oh, and copy editing and copyright and copyright? All, all stuff? that all that yeah, word means. There's money word. in that. But I don't want to do that because that's just sitting in front of a computer editing other people's stuff. I wanted to be editing my own. But it, presumably there's a skill to editing, whether it's your yeah. own work or others. Yeah, to be a good sense. writer, you need to be a good reader. So a okay. lot of what, like the best part about being unemployed, <laughs> other than, you know, not having to show up for a job that you hate or being surrounded by people that you don't like, is getting to read. And I read so many things that inspire me and help me kind of navigate what I'm trying to do and shed light on their writing processes so like at the beginning you know there'll be the author's note of how they created so-and-so book most people will flip through that but that to me is the most interesting part is how did this person come up with this tale is it from are they drawing on personal experiences or did they just go on this life-changing trip and then you know learned I don't know, something about themselves that opened up this whole new world or did they accidentally fall into a history book and start writing historical fiction because this time back whenever really captured their heart like that's the most interesting part to me yeah of course yeah that's yeah. no, fascinating mm. and you said that you've written a lot and over a, a vast period but yeah. it's all been very personal is it too personal to share would you publish it have you got a facebook page um i have 
like on my Instagram page, there's a link to a Tumblr account that I have two blogs published on. So the last one would have been kind of an emotional well-being type of piece because it was right after I finished college and I realized how how unwell I was after the year and it was only in the process of getting better that I realized how unwell I was at the time like I I didn't have that perspective until there was a change in me where I was able to go oh I feel different now right it's because I felt shit before and this is why (laughs) and so I kind of wrote about that and I really do want to be writing more um, and publishing it more because I need to get comfortable with the idea that people are going to be reading my writing and the only way to do that is to do it more often yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, I do have a blog that I haven't touched in a long time. I've been meaning to because I it was kind of a travel blog where I'd post um, like the first one I did was about my time in France. So I like I did a language exchange program. So I would have lived with um, a French family speaking only French all the time, doing French classes, living in France. Cool. Yeah. Sorry, when was this? This was 2015, the summer of 2015. OK, um, I did an accelerated French program at UT. Um, so it's basically two years of French in like nine months. Um, and so by the time you get over there, you're really proficient, but you don't have the every like the day to day practice. So when you're living in France and you're with a host family, all you do is French. So by the time I left, I was fluent. I'm not fluent anymore because yeah, being, but I mean, presumably if you went over for a weekend by halfway through the second day, you'd practically be fluent. Oh, again, Jesus, I you? hope so. Yeah. Well, the, the problem with me is that I was trilingual at that point. So my Spanish and my French were getting mixed up. So whenever I try to speak one, I'd accidentally speak the other. Hilarious. And I wouldn't notice until someone would give me a weird look and be like, <laughs> what the fuck was that? Because I'm used to speaking Spanglish, which is Spanish and English at the same time. It's what's spoken in my house. Um, but I wasn't used to Franish. No, the French, presumably. Yeah. So I, it was just hard for my brain to hold all of those words at once. I think, like, I actually got to the point where I was fluent, and then I just went backwards. Like, my brain just turned off and, like, just started shooting out French words out of my ears because I couldn't hold them in anymore. So then I kind of lost French as I was there because I was doing too much, and my brain needed to take a step back. So I wrote about that experience, about living in France, because that was my first time really leaving home and being on my own and being in a different culture that wasn't one that's from South America, Central America, but being in something totally foreign. So I wrote about that. And that's a blog post that you kind of have to dig for amongst my uh, really cheesy filtered Instagram photos. <laughs> <laughs> French people, we've yeah. uh, we've talked about Australians and Americans. Mm. Give me the give me your take on French people. On French people, they're really nice. There, I actually had a really enjoyable time there. D- when there's I an, was, there's it, an air of surprise there. Yeah, because everyone always talks about how arrogant and kind of. I don't. They, people just talk about how arrogant French people are. Yeah, stuck are. up, I suppose. Yeah, yeah but yeah. that's Parisians. I found okay. that really only happening to me in Paris. When because I lived primarily in Lyon, and I was with um, a little French lady who was maybe like half my height, but who was twice as thick as me, and she had like fiery red hair and she was the Japanese teacher at this French university and she was such a character like there was little stools around the house so she could get into the cabinets because she was basically hobbit sized she was (laughs) tiny and she was just really sweet and we would sit there talking for hours in the evening maybe for like two or three hours and she'd pull up the dictionary for me so we could go through um and find French words and she'd tell me about her culture and like we talk about our days so she like she really wanted me 
to engage with her and learn about me so it like she was a very genuine person a lot of people that I met there other people like other uh, fellow students were with really nice families that took them out to family homes out in the countryside just to like, really um, I don't know show them French culture and whenever we traveled around to the countryside we met wonderful people and they were so excited to see American young students speaking the language so proficiently and being able to communicate with them and being genuinely excited to meet them and uh, eat the food or like learn about their way of life so I had a wonderful experience out there the only time that I felt really uncomfortable was when I went down to Marseille um, it was the m it was the most uncomfortable I've ever been being a woman I felt like every man that looked at me was going to whack me over the head and take me prisoner. Like Just I ogling you like or... I was all I was wearing was shorts and a t shirt, but I wanted to wear like a full body suit and cover my face because the looks they were giving me, like you'd swear I was walking around naked with like covered in lights, waving my arms above my head, yelling <laughs> the way that they were looking at me. It was awful. I felt it was the most dangerous place I've been, I feel. Jesus. Mm. And we were we were in a fair group of like in a big group of girls, but men would just stop what they were doing and turn around and leer. Like, there's a difference between a glance and a leer, and you can really feel it. And I was leered at an awful lot. Oh, God. Yeah. And again, I was just wearing shorts and a t-shirt. It was hot out. I'm not going to wear jeans. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and were, the, the, say, the, the French girls, were they all covered up? Or, like, were you, I, like, you, you mightn't have been wearing anything particularly revealing yeah. by your standards, but by their standards, were you maybe? Like, again, I think I, that I they were clue, just obviously. used to it, so they didn't really bat an eye. Used to what? Sorry. Oh, the girls. Used to be leered at. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Or, or most people, because we were tourists and we didn't really know we were walking around, I don't think that there was a lot of people our age in that area. So we were, like, we went to someone's Airbnb um, because it, this was like a, a solo trip. We didn't take it as a group from the school. So we all went down. It was like a group of 10 of us and half of us stayed out further outside the city. That's where I was. And it was really pretty out there. But further in the city is where all the seedy men were and big groups of foreign seedy men. So they weren't exactly French. I don't know where they were from. Um, foreigners you fucking foreigners <laughs> yeah. but they were yeah they just made you really really uncomfortable yes man because that, that, that's such a foreign thing I think for men mm. to hear like I've, I've, I've never felt uncomfortable in yeah. any environment ever mm. because of all the you know leering women were doing yeah. like, I don't know maybe I'm not as pretty as you I don't know yeah. I feel a little bit left out yeah. <laughs> I'll take you to southern France maybe you'll get leered at yeah. <laughs> Uh, you mentioned your blog there a minute ago, and I, I don't want to forget this. Mm. I won't read your blog. Okay. <laughs> I would listen to it, though. Oh, right. Oh, I don't think I'd ever record my own voice. I hate the sound of my own Everybody voice. Everybody hates the sound of their own voice. Yeah. No, but like you have a nice voice to be recording. I your voice is good to listen to. Yeah, but I, I, I don't find your voice poor to listen to. Oh, I hear it, and I go, oh, my God, and my accent's so nasally. Who's that obnoxious American? Oh, shit, it's me. <laughs> <laughs> but that's just that that's a, your own voice thing, because yeah. you do, you hear your voice differently than, like, mm -hmm. I, I hear my voice differently than you hear my voice. Yeah. So, when, and less and less, because I've had to listen to so much of my own voice that it's, I don't right. really, it doesn't sound weird to me anymore. Kind it just, of it just sounds like to it. Yes, big time. Mm -hmm. But I do remember, especially when I was a kid and hearing your voice for the first time, I was like, what? Yeah, you know, what's wrong with your, mm -hmm. your recording device? <laughs> do I always sound like this? Yeah, and people go, like, I, I was shocked. Mm -hmm. And then I'm, I'm looking at other people's reaction and to say they're, they're not shocked, yeah. <laughs> you know, is to put it as mildly as it can yeah. be put. They're like, what? That's just you. And you're like, oh my God. It's just <laughs> real self realization thing. So. 
But again, that's just that's your own hang up over your own voice. Yeah. So I couldn't recommend recording the audio. Mm. I couldn't recommend it more. And I think we we touched on this before we started talking. I think you know words of wisdom from a man who doesn't write or has no <laughs> intention of writing or becoming an author. Yeah. Um, but I I have found recording the solo podcast particularly beneficial. Yeah. And what surprised me is what comes out of my mouth a lot mm. of the time and I listen to myself back and it's like I, there's times when I'm, I'm listening to, I'm listening to it back for a number of reasons to maybe write the little blurb yeah because I have to kind of remind myself what I what I spoke about yeah. so to give an accurate or semi-accurate type of blurb I have to listen back to it I have to listen back to it to make sure that the audio is, is okay and you're not mm. putting up something that's just zzzz yeah. for, the, for the second half of the recording but I've caught myself sitting there kind of nodding my head going yeah he makes some good points <laughs> do you know that kind of way yeah. it's like you're beside yourself it's fucking weird like. yeah very very weird but see i get that same sensation when i put pen to paper because i'll start i'll sit down to write something and it transforms into something totally other because i most of the time when i write it's to self-reflect or to remember like a specific day that i want to but then i'll end up writing about all these feelings that i've had inside or ideas and i'll end up sitting there writing for two hours and i look back and i've got 10 pages of stuff no way i never anticipated writing so for me i get more clarity from writing things down and i can like just really more accurately put down my thoughts when i've been writing I've a, I I I personally feel that I have a better voice on page than yes yes and then recorded, but that's because I've been practicing it for years for the better part of my life, you know. You've also been talking for yeah, your entire life too. Do you but, know it in a weird way? But I would have been up until recently a very guarded person, so I never would have voiced any opinions or any thoughts or anything. I and, would have been like a very mellow kind of oh yeah whatever like passive almost. And you say up until recently, was there a catalyst there or? Um, psychology degree and my choice of partner. <laughs> right. Who's and... a very outspoken person and would have kind of pulled a lot out of me. Like that's one of the biggest reasons my character has changed. Is because of Pat's influence. Mm. And what did you learn in psychology that, that made a difference? Um, a lot of emotional unwellness that was in my own life growing up emotional um, unwellness yeah okay. just in in the people who were raising me the person that I was even in my sibling like things that I didn't realize that I thought were normal and then like just the experience of being in college in itself meeting people that were from just people that were other like that didn't have the same experiences at me as me but still had the same kind of feelings because they're part of the human experience and I didn't really realize what the human experience was and that a lot of people feel the same way and a lot of people have you know mommy or daddy issues because of those reasons but I didn't see them as parental issues I just saw them as like oh yeah that's home whatever and then got a psychology degree realized how fucked up it was <laughs> and then have been kind of like healing and processing with it since then yeah no it's, it, it, it's mm. fascinating and I've my professional background has been in sales and, and business development and that's and because I'm a kind of a perfectionist I always wanted to kind of do better right. and with sales in particular it's one of those jobs that if you work harder mm -hmm. you will get paid more right. so in an administrative role if you have to file a hundred letters yeah. and you file two hundred 
there's no bonus so yeah. there's no incentive to learn and get better but in sales it's different and for right. someone with a perfectionistic tendency if you really want to excel mm-hmm. at something why not make it sales right. because at least you can get paid do you yeah. know kind of way but it, it sent me down a, a psychology rabbit hole mm. um, so I obviously wouldn't have the same academic background as, as yourself that spent a couple of years studying it Like, but mm. it has even by me dipping my toe over the years I suppose I've had the same experience to a degree that once you learn you actually mentioned there a second ago that, mm. that there is such a thing as a, as a human experience yeah, not just your own mm-hmm. and that somebody else might have let's say a mommy or daddy issue and that mightn't be the same issue that you've had mm. but it's still yeah. the same type of issue say. Yeah. but uh, so it's just it's it's fascinating and it's great that you've kind of I suppose developed on the back of that yeah it gave me a lot of personal insight because um, there was a lot of things that I wasn't dealing with like I, I would have been the kind of person that shoved things down until it all imploded yeah bottle and, that shit up yeah right that's, that's how I was raised though like that's the that was the mentality of my parents and their parents and yeah. so that's all that I knew was to bottle it up and I didn't know that they were feeling the exact same way because no one ever fucking said anything <laughs> <laughs> and like if like I've now started in my home hugging everyone way more often like even that in itself at the beginning was like my parents were kind of like Jesus why are you so needy all of a sudden but now like everyone hugs each other more and I say I love you all the time I don't remember hearing I love you that much growing up but now I hear it all the time and it's just it's because they didn't hear it from their parents because it was very much like tough love and I would have grown up on some tough love but I'm kind of changing that in my own home because I realize that even though it's something that's been going on for generations, doesn't really mean that it's the right thing to do and that it's going to make more healthy individuals because it's just going to perpetuate people that are going to raise other people to do the same exact shit. So yeah, like, no, you have no, to start absolutely. somewhere. And that's kind of the, the downside of, of conservatism. Mm. You know, keeping things the same isn't necessarily good. Yeah. And obviously there's the, the downside of liberalism is you can't go around changing everything. If you're... If you're five-year-old son wants to be a girl you don't book him in for the fucking surgery <laughs> yeah. you know we yeah. need a bit of middle ground people yeah. you know, center yourself for fuck's sake yeah but um <laughs> yeah no it's, been, it's it's listen it's been absolutely fascinating talking to you we're at what just over the two hour mark oh jesus christ I has know, it really yeah. been that long it, no it has it has it's okay been, it's been great cool um thanks a million for coming on and i want 10 percent of the proceeds of this fucking book of course yeah, regardless you in. Not, not, not even if I'm in or if you've used any of my, <laughs> yeah. my ideas but uh, record some audio <laughs> set up a Facebook okay. page and publish the blog at least okay and get writing yeah and definitely be writing get the get the feedback more so than get writing I suppose not that I want to fucking dish out advice but yeah. don't or put it out there yeah because there's 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 benefit in I think there's benefit in having a, a pile of writing accumulating in a, in a room somewhere mm. because you're putting pen to paper is, is beneficial for clearing your thoughts and straightening out your mind and whatever else but nothing beats feedback from people yeah Um. so for you know that would be my tuppence worth for all it's worth yeah and I look forward to listening to your blog oh god okay what's the <laughs> what's the link would you give out the link to your blog how would you find it it's 
uh, you only realize when you've named something horribly when you have to say the name out loud. Go for it. Me doing some stuff. <laughs> Me doing some stuff. Yeah. Dot com. I think it's like dot <laughs> Tumblr or something, or it's like Tumblr slash me doing some stuff well i tell you what okay anybody who's stayed on this long anybody who's listened to you for two hours say, right presumably is going to want to have a look at that i guess yeah like if, if anyone yeah. if anyone's going to want to read what you've written if on they, your blogs yeah if they put up with me for this long pretty much yeah mm. absolutely so i'll include it in the notes with your permission if that's cool sure yeah yeah brilliant so okay. i'll include it in the notes and uh listen again absolute pleasure having you on yeah of course thank you see ya